You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning from 7.45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. Still City on the edge of the Liverpool penalty area over on the far side. Sent back in. Aguero inside the area. Volleys it into the roof of the net. And Manchester City get their goal. And who else? He always does it in this game. Sergio Aguero, the poacher's finish, the close control, the volley, and Manchester City, five minutes before half time, make the breakthrough. Alexander Arnold steps in away from Sane, sends a cross in deep to the back post to Robertson. Robertson across, and Liverpool have equalised. It's Roberto Firmino. Running at the Liverpool defence, 30 yards from their goal. Lays it off to Leroy Sané, space for Leroy Sané, onto his left boot, and he fires it into the back of the net. Off the right-hand post. What a goal from Manchester City, created by Raheem Sterling. And a clinical finish by Leroy Sané on the left side of the area. Left-footed drilled it low, past Alisson, off the right-hand post. And City are back in front. It's Manchester City 2, Liverpool 1. Yeah, all started for me from Sterling's movement. He's originally done Andy Robinson, he's come for short, he's spanning behind, he should have been put in, he wasn't. Then he's come short, um, got the ball turned, ran at Liverpool's defence, um, touched on Sané, should have been a bit narrower for more of the game for me, and he was. Aguero took care of Alexander-Arnold, and, uh, and Sané was in the width of the 18-yard box, and that's all you've got to be as a striker, as a front man, get in that 18-yard box, and as you do, land to your feet, and what a finish. Yeah, football's not a bad old game, is it? You've been listening to the sounds of last night's heavyweight clash between Manchester City and Liverpool. Jonathan Walters and Nathan Murphy commenting, commentating on the game uh, for off the ball. A heavyweight clash, as I say, and quite often in the Premier League they don't live up to the hype, but it certainly did last night. And uh, everybody here in studio hasn't really slept, I think, uh, as a result of the excitement of last night. Johnny Ward, Phil Egan, a very good morning to you. Uh, I think we've got a combined total of about six hours sleep in studio this morning. Like we, everybody expected it to live up to the hype, but there is always this nagging doubt, especially after the first couple of minutes. That it's like this is going to be one of these really testy affairs where it's going to be hard tackle after hard tackle after hard tackle. And we got that, but we also got some beautiful moments. And uh, I guess that Leroy Sane moment at the end of near the end of the game was the one that defined it all. Yeah, and you know it was a cagey start. I think it was uh, some of the stats in the game were quite interesting. I think Liverpool's. Um, Pass completion rate was way, way down on what it normally is. Um, the shots on goal were down. And Manchester City, I think it took them a long, long time to actually hit a shot on goal. It was a real sort of shadow boxing start. We discussed this before the game. How it would work out? Would, would Liverpool go gung-ho in the press? And they didn't really. They kind of pressed, but they also sort of um, held back that, that three in midfield. And Manchester City knew that um, it was a marathon, not a sprint. And... It eventually took off. Um, I think the key moment really was, you know, Liverpool hitting the post at nil all. The first proper good chance of the game. Um, and a lot of people will build their analysis of the game and the fact that Liverpool should have done this and should have done that. But if they scored that goal, like, you know, and you're talking inches, like Sane hits the post and it goes in. Uh, Manny hits the post and it doesn't. Um, so, you know, that, that could have completely changed how the game went. I thought Liverpool did well to come back in because City were really hungry last night. You know, the, their, their, their midfield linchpins with De Bruyne not getting any action. Guardiola got it right, I think, with his team selection. And um, it was a real throwback to, to old football. I, you know, we spent too much time looking at analysing games on social media, but social media last night was full of people who might be now floating voters when it comes to football, but we're totally immersed in it last night, and uh, I, um, I really enjoyed it, I have to say. 
Phil, you're not a floating voter when it comes to Premier League. You, you like even the crappy games, so last night was I'd watch really anything, excited. yeah. But, you yeah, know, it was. It was intense. There was tackles flying in. Johnny mentioned that City got their team selection right. I think Klopp got it wrong. That midfield three, that Wijnaldum was always going to start. I, I have a feeling Henderson would start. I thought he'd go with Fabinho. And Fabinho made a huge difference when he came on. And just the, the first 20 minutes, you just thought, OK, this Liverpool have to make sure they don't concede here. But when they did get the ball, they didn't use it very well because that midfield three don't have the ability. Fabinho opened it up a bit. He obviously is a bit more dynamic. And I wonder, was Klopp maybe second-guessing what Guardiola was going to do? Did they actually know if De Bruyne was going to start? And maybe that's why he went with the three. But I think maybe, from a Liverpool point of view, is that the last time we'll see that three in midfield? Because... He has the ability to play a 4-2-3-1. Which is working a lot better, isn't Yeah. And I can understand the 4-3-3, but I just thought Fabinho had to be in. I know earlier in the season, when they played at Anfield, he didn't play Fabinho, but he was nowhere near ready. He's shown in the last few weeks he is ready, and he's got up to speed with the Premier League. If Mane scores, and he should score, that's a great chance. Surely it is a different game. I thought Vincent Company, it's a red card, the, the challenge on Mo Salah. Well, it's actually interesting looking at uh, some of the back pages and inside the back pages this morning, which we'll get to shortly, that there is a disagreement. Like, every newspaper seems to have a, a, a resident referee at this point, yeah. where a referee's verdict. And there's actually a split opinion as to whether or not it was. I want to know what Keith Hackett thinks. I think Keith Hackett said it was a red card, so I think uh, you're Keith justified. <laughs> Clattenburg, he thinks it's a red card as well. I think Clattenburg thinks it's a red card I think card if, as it well. was, if you had VAR, it's a red card. Mm, yeah. Because he's, he's off the ground. Anthony Taylor mightn't have seen it. And that's something Klopp said after the game. I don't know if he would have seen it. But I think last night as well illustrated just why Fernandinho is so important to Manchester City. He was the best player on the pitch. For sure. And we're going to get into that in analysis later on with Pat Nevin and Kevin Kilban before around 9.15 or 9.30 this morning. But let's just talk about that moment with Sadio Mane hitting the post. The beautiful build-up play uh, before that opportunity. Uh, the John Stones clearance, uh, which obviously backfired in his face. And then the John uh, Stones second clearance which was absolutely ridiculous. 11 millimetres is uh, the number of the morning, in case you're wondering. That or is the shadow. Uh, or the shadow. We can actually bring this... Uh, we, we can, we, this is the actual uh, goal line technology that you can see. There is still some of the ball remaining on the line. Uh, but somebody uh, on Twitter, Sal Ahmed, said, look at the shadow of the ball, which says it's uh, fully past the goal line. Now, of course, you've got to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of where the light is coming from <laughs> and to what point is that actually bringing the shadow beyond the white line uh, and to what extent is the shadow actually just a graphic and not actually real. Uh, so there is conspiracy theories doing the rounds. This is how big a moment this is in <laughs> Premier League history. like the ball's alter ego or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, uh, you know, ma- ma- West Ham's comeback against... Um, Against Brighton the other night was uh, Arnautovic obviously got two, but you know one of them is across from. It's almost exactly like that. The ball is like a slither just on the line, and uh, goal line technology was definitely seen at its best there. Because I think fifty-fifty that ball that's probably given as a goal by the by the linesman, like because it looks it kind of looks over the line. It does and in the heat of the moment, he's probably going to give a goal there. But you're, you're talking about margins. I mean. For for the clearance as well as like I, I know Manny should have scored but you yeah. have a bit of sympathy for him it's so close like it's it's literally if it's probably a millimeter closer to the to the to the center of the goal it goes in um, 
And that move from Liverpool, the problem with that move was it was the three front men who were kind of isolated because of the midfield he played. And Manchester City were acutely aware that they had to deal with the three front men. So Liverpool didn't have the continuity of phases, I think, to get to them. That was vital in a game like that. But you, you say that, and, and at the same time, that, how did that ball come out from Stones? And if Manchester City win the league, we spoke about like... You know, those crucial moments for Liverpool, which was Origi's ridiculous goal against Everton and Mahrez missing the penalty at Anfield, you know, um, that that particular attack was will probably win the league for City if they look back and say, like, we go 1-0 down there, we should have gone 1-0 down on two occasions probably in that particular move itself. That's why we won the league. But uh, I think on the balance of it, Man City deserved to win the game. You know, yeah. if you look at... I was asked my mate last night, actually, what's the, how does the expected goals uh, work? Because it is a, it's, a, it's a way of kind of challenging results as a means to predict future results because results are a product of a lot of kind of random things in a game, whereas expected goals goals are but in, in any event I'd say the I didn't see the expected goals for last night but I'd say City edged it and um, I think there'll be a little bit of pressure on Liverpool now because I thought their attempts to get a second goal were a little bit ad hoc like and almost like the Alamo there was no real pattern to what they were doing it was kind of yeah. like lump it anywhere at all and see what happens and I thought they could have been a bit more composed there and that's maybe the first time I just had to wonder is there a little bit of pressure on them well, that they're, they're so close? I agree, and, I, and someone's writing in the paper this morning, I can't, the name escapes me at the moment, saying that last night was going to be the defining game of the season for Liverpool if they won it. Now there's going to be many, many defining games. Those it, Reminiscent of 2014 almost, where every single week and every time, particularly at Anfield, it's like, this is a historic moment potentially uh, for Liverpool. Uh, as well before, as that, like, for Sa- like De Bruyne didn't play last night, yeah, so for yeah. City, the, to be able to have the luxury of saying, we don't actually need him. Now, they, they probably wobbled at one all where they're like... We, you know, oh, here we go. We, you know, and but not to use De Bruyne. To think that Man City having possibly the best player in the world, if not in the league, when he's on form, that is such a boost for them. Mm-hmm. He's barely kicked the ball this season, mm. and he comes back. David Silva's only coming back. He was actually non-existent. Quite game last night. Yeah. yeah. Bernardo Silva obviously was outstanding. Brilliant. I think he well. covered more yards than anyone in the yeah. Premier League this season. More than thirteen right. kilometers. Mm. It's it's uh, like the engine on that man is ridiculous. He, he's just been an absolute superstar for Manchester City. Like the, the, the point about uh, Kevin De Bruyne was that about two months ago you were saying, look at Manchester City, four points uh, in front of the league, and they've still got Kevin De Bruyne to come back. And they actually regressed from that point. They had their slip. And you do wonder if we can actually just use that exact same take right now and say, well, Manchester City are obviously going to push on because of Kevin De Bruyne's return. I'm not so sure if it's that actually clear cut. Yeah, look, five weeks ago I just thought City were going to march on to the title then they lose to Chelsea the Palace game and I, I also felt with City if, if you score first against them that's how you beat them but in the Palace game and the Leicester game they actually scored first last night I did expect City to score first and I thought Liverpool the way they approached the game last night was they were almost waiting to see what City did I actually think that if they had gone for City a bit more City are a bit fragile at the moment. I totally agree with you, and I think that was part of the questioning of his team selection because yeah. it wasn't a team selection that said, we're going man-to-man with you here. It was like, we're going to suss you out and see what's going on. And You could even see early on, Man City were there for the taking a little yeah. bit defensively, and I think when Liverpool didn't score, it just gave them confidence. Yeah, and even like it was only one all for eight minutes. If it had gone on for a little bit longer, like as soon as Firmino scored, the crowd, which... I don't think we've ever heard it louder at the Etihad, went very quiet. You could hear the Liverpool fans. There was a real sense, right, this is your moment. You, there's a winner there for you. But Klopp's reaction, clutching yeah. whatever he pictured that water bottle to be. Was, was it the Premier League trophy? Yeah. He was I pretending the, the water bottle was? Yeah. I don't know, but uh, I just think that Liverpool, 
they let City off the hook a little bit. City did deserve to win. I just thought Liverpool were a bit conservative and this maybe goes into the narrative of would you rather be the hunter or being hunted? And so many people, so many ex-pros who've been in this situation have said they would rather be the chaser. Mm-hmm. And maybe last night showed why. Because City went into the game thinking we have to win whereas Liverpool's approach was very much we make sure we don't lose. And... Here we are talking about Liverpool losing, but they're still four points clear. Yeah, I kind of expected at this time when this fixture was posted that it would be City that would be four or five points clear. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts this morning. You can tweet us at Off The Ball or comment on the stream if you happen to be watching on Facebook or YouTube. Phil Egan, thank you for that. We let you go do the, j- the day job. Uh, let's tell you what's coming up on today's show. We're going to be uh, speaking uh, to, well, I'm not going to be speaking to him. Nathan Murphy was speaking to Trent Alexander-Arnold in the aftermath of last night's game. He'll bring you that post-match interview very shortly. Kevin Kilban as well coming up around 10 past 8. Uh, an interview with Shane Byrne then coming your way at 8.30 this morning. Looking ahead to the weekend's Pro 14 action. Pat Nevin then at around 10 to 9. And then Tina Foley is going to be with us in studio at 10 past nine, looking ahead to a big Sunday on Off the Ball this weekend. None of them on, and uh, it's an all-woman show here on Off the Ball this Sunday on Newstalk. So we're going to get into the papers next here on OTBAM, but first up, John Walters was on commentary duty for us on Off, uh, on off the Ball at the Eddie had last night. Here are his post-match thoughts with Nathan Murphy. All right, we're here at a bitterly cold Etihad Stadium, but what a game, what a game. Manchester City right back in the title race, a 2-1 win over Liverpool. Is that as, as good as you've seen in the Premier League this season? It is, yeah, now as I said before the game, what, what a game to be able to commentate on. It's an uh, unbelievable, unbelievable game. Um, fast pace, high pressing from both teams, great spectacle, and it just shows uh, um, the differences at this level. It's um, such a minute, minute difference and half a yard off it, and it's all about inches, what you say. Why did City win that game? Um, I think they dominated the game to begin with. They had the control of the game. Although Liverpool got back in it, there was no real, there was no real danger from them. Although they had that chance in the first half, Johnson's cleared off the line. I think City were the better team. Um, whatever, whatever it was, they had the better game plan. And um, when, when it mattered most, they're the ones that were most clinical and put the ball in the back of the net. The most important player on the pitch it seemed was Fernandinho it is bitterly cold I cannot stress enough quite how cold he was seen as a tough man in the Premier League not to forget he's shaking here it's about minus three at the moment so we won't keep you too long but you were raving about Fernandinho's performance and there were questions about whether or not he would start this game about his fitness but he absolutely ran the show out there today yeah, and we, we questioned whether it was going to be whether you were going to make two changes and put the Bruyne and him in there um, with it at this level and the pace of the game, the fitness the boys need. He was right up to scratch, and look how quiet he kept uh, the Liverpool front three because they like to drop into holes, they like that space in between the midfield and defence and, and make things happen. And every time there was a bit of danger, he sniffed it out and set up City to go and attack, and uh, he gives you that that base to play from. It just shows in the past month how much they have missed him um, sometimes you just need a scrapper you need a scrapper and someone that does all the unseen work and uh, although he's only slight and he may not seem and as much of him he's uh, by far the standout player today did you see enough in Liverpool tonight to worry you or was it as I say a game of such fine margins that actually they're not that far off they played arguably the best mm-hmm. team in Europe and they've come very very close and there's no reason they can't respond no look they're, they're not far off they've got They've got the players, and more so the attacking players, are always going to score goals no matter what. They're always going to create chances. That front three is unstoppable, really. They scored tonight, but they were quite quiet um, all over the pitch, so they've got they've got that depth. Um, Shakiri to come off the bench. Um, Fabinho came off the bench. 
storage, you can create something. Did you get his selection from. wrong tonight? When you look at how good Fernandinho was in the middle of that midfield, he left Fabinho out, who's been arguably Liverpool's best player over the past month, leaving him on the bench, bringing Jordan Henderson in. Did he get that wrong? Very small differences, isn't it? I think uh, what happens if Stones doesn't clear it off the line, or does clear it, hits Salah, goes in, company gets sent off, then he's got a selection right. So very, very minute details. I don't think they were. They had the chances. Look, they had the chances. Um, Salah had one um, where the keeper made an unbelievable save. But it's just interesting for me what they will do in this transfer window. To Liverpool, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, will they add and where will they add for, for me I think they need to look at the centre half position they've got Van Dijk uh, Lovren is caught on his heels there whether he's for me he's a little bit of a weak link tonight got caught on his, on his heels for the first goal um, there, there will be question marks on him did they go for an older viral from Tottenham who has triggered a, rele- triggered a, a new contract Tottenham but that's a 25 million release goals has been triggered what's mm. been said in the press is that a cheap buy for someone like uh, Liverpool or is, that, is he going to Man U I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll be going but that'll be a, a, a great addition if you ask me Yeah, Jonathan Walters speaking to Nathan Murphy in the aftermath of Manchester City 2 Liverpool won in the Premier League last night and Nathan Murphy is with us now Good morning to you Nathan Hi lads Did you also struggle it's to sleep last night grim. after that? I did actually I was awake till about 3 o'clock this morning I was absolutely buzzing afterwards hence why I look like this <laughs> I think you look great. But thanks, Danny. Thanks, Danny. But it's 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 hard. It's surely no coincidence that we all struggle to sleep. It just, I just couldn't. I just couldn't settle at all. No. I was like thinking, 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 and it was one of those games. Yeah, it was. Like I'm not sure what was the thing that kind of gave you the biggest adrenaline rush, Nathan. Obviously, the the level of quality was there for everyone to see. But I think you mentioned it there in that conversation with Jonathan Walters. The the needle was there. The aggression was there. I think we kind of forgot that that was going to be an obvious element of this match. Yeah, because it was a very different game to the 4-3 last year, which was probably more exciting in many ways. But last night was more absorbing. You couldn't take your eyes off mm. it. It was energy sapping to watch because because of the way the two goalkeepers played. I thought that was, in one way, from a commentary point of view, the most interesting thing. You literally couldn't put your eyes down for a split second because of the press that they were putting on Alisson and Ederson and how good the two of them were and just their sheer ability, I thought, of keeping hold of it, of never making a mistake against some of the best, most talented attacking players in the world. Listen, we're going to analyse it to death, and rightly so, because it was such an important game. Sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and go, bloody hell, that was class. There were very, very few mistakes. Obviously, Dejan Lovren switched off for a split second against the striker of Aguero's ability, and that cost you. City were so, so clinical with their big chances when they mattered. Obviously, they missed a couple towards the end. Whereas I just think Liverpool ever so slightly those matter of inches off as you said Mane's chance that goes an inch to the right it's a very different game maybe it's a very different title race but I would agree with Johnny I think City probably just about edged it and I was really impressed with them last night because it was a different type of City performance it wasn't Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva running the show midfield it was industry grit determination just a sheer willingness to fight exemplified by Fernandinho and in midfield Liverpool just couldn't match it and that meant that Salah, Mane, Firmino particularly in the first half didn't get involved enough I thought Salah actually every time he got in the ball was brilliant did the right thing created something barely put a pass wrong in the entire match they just didn't get enough out of him and actually when I was back in the hotel last night just looking at things the thing that surprised me actually was Jurgen Klopp's team selection because you look at the team that started in the first half in the formation 
pretty much the exact same team that played in the Champions League final last May, with the exception of Allison coming in for Loris Karius. The 10 outfield players were the exact same, and they lined up in the same formation with the front three spread right across. Whereas Liverpool's best form over the past month has been with different players and with a different formation, with Firmino dropping deeper, getting more involved. So I was very surprised that he changed that last night. Maybe he thought we did so well against Manchester City last season. It worked so well then. I'll just repeat the trick. But I just thought in midfield, they got out fought, which is something that in the title race, I don't think you really want. Was there a sense that they were nervous last night? I don't know if it was nerves. Definitely in the first five minutes, City came at them. Came at them at 100 miles an hour and Liverpool struggled to cope. But then City didn't really create any chances in that first while. And Liverpool had the best chance of the first half of Aguero's goal. So I don't think there was a nervousness. It was just that it wasn't... It was a game for a battle. Like, David Silva has his worst game, I would say, in a Manchester City jersey. Like, the most skillful, technically gifted player in the Premier League. The game passed him by because it was just so frantic. So you needed guys who put the boot in there. And Liverpool just didn't seem to have that. Whereas, that's kind of Fabinho's game. And he showed that when he came on. Now, they changed formation as well, which probably suited. But I, I didn't think Liverpool were particularly nervous. It, it's, it's, it's a game that... What happens over the rest of the season will decide its importance. If Liverpool don't win the league, it is a defining game with defining moments. If they do, it's a footnote. And you look at their fixtures, their next five games are all against teams outside the top six. They've won 14 from 14 against teams outside the top six. So there's no question they're good enough to bounce back from this. It is just now whether it's a mental thing, whether something is dipped in confidence. But I don't think there was a nervousness. I don't think they were overall by the occasion or anything like that. The, the Klopp uh, reign now will be interesting in that obviously the Champions League final was such a what might have been last year and if they were to lose the league this season you alluded to the team selection that's no doubt going to be a big part of the narrative because people will say with, uh, very much with the ability of hindsight as well that he got it wrong mm. um, and does he have the does he have the kind of mental composure now to get through this and know that if this goes wrong for Liverpool, he will be kind of blamed? I think you'd have to say past history suggests he does. They bounce back from a devastating Champions League final defeat. He's won league titles in the Bundesliga. And also, they're still four points clear. Mm. Like, I, I don't go along with this thing, you prefer to be the chaser. Liverpool have been the chaser. The three times that they've gone close to winning the title in the last 29 years, they've been the chaser and gone on these ridiculous runs at the end of the season. But they couldn't chase down the team that were leading. And that's the problem for City. Like, it's still out of their hands. If Liverpool go and maintain that form that they've shown against the lesser teams, win their next five, the gap is going to be more than four points, you'd imagine, by the time Liverpool's next tough game against Manchester United comes around at the end of next month. Between now and then, City have to play Chelsea and they have to play Arsenal. Now, both of them at the Etihad Stadium. But again, I don't think Klopp is going to be overly... I'm not going to say not overly devastated, but I don't think it's going to change his entire thinking on the game because of one defeat. Mm. Nathan Murphy, thanks a million. Safe flight home. Cheers, lads. It's interesting you bring that up. I'm not sure were you watching Klopp's interview with Gary Neville before the before the match last night, and Klopp was saying that his fear of failure really is non-existent. If he fails, and so be it. Which I thought was kind of uh, very telling in terms of the mindset of Jurgen Klopp and his demeanour and his outlook on football. And may or may not be true. You know, sometimes you have to kind true. of say these things as well. What do you believe that yourself? Uh, but he's. It's it's just the whole Liverpool story that he knows that this is after this anything can happen, but all that matters is that they win the league. And um, 
you'd you'd just be a small bit worried about them because watching City last night with De Bruyne had come back in, you suddenly get this feeling that they're not going to be dropping points really anytime soon. And Liverpool just they just might wonder what might have been because even a draw last night would have made a colossal difference. Four points is not a big gap; it no. really isn't. And with with Manchester United, you know, becoming a resurgent team. There are teams at the top of the table that um, are definitely capable of taking points off, off off each other, more so maybe now than when Mourinho is there. And Liverpool do have the Champions League to come as well. And if they get a, a Manchester City, hmm? so do Manchester, so do Manchester City. City. Um, Liverpool would have a tougher game, but in fairness, if you just you just wonder if they get an injury or two, will will they have a little bit of a mental wobble? I still think they'll win the league, but uh, City have gone back favourites now. You think so? The, well, like I think, by the bookmakers, they have anyway. Yes, I think so. the irony in all of that is you talk about an injury giving a team a wobble, and Manchester yeah. City have had the, the biggest wobble that we could have expected due to one injury. Mm. Uh, now, obviously, uh, the, the one injury that could really harm Liverpool is if Virgil Van Dijk gets injured or if Allison gets injured. Outside of that, how many more injuries could cause a wobble? Well, maybe some Liverpool fans would say the performance of Dejan Lovren last night would suggest that uh, they need Joe Gomez back, fully fit and firing straight It was well. a question mark as well that Lovren could be just that difference. You know, it was the same against Napoli. He switched off and they should have scored and they should have been out of the Champions League. And um, I, I'm still I'm surprised that they're still as reliant on him as they are, even because of injuries. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look at some of the sports pages this morning. We'll start with the Irish Times and pretty much all the newspapers leading with this uh, Liverpool defeat last night. Uh, the Irish Times go with inspiration. Laguero leads from the front for champions and Sané's precision finish reignites the title race. You've also got Juventus upbeat on prospect of signing Ramsey at the end of the season. That's uh, Aaron Ramsey who's probably going to agree a deal in the next couple of weeks to join a new club and complete it then in the summer. Uh, the Irish Independent goes with Sané hands City lifeline. Uh, second half strike closes gap but Klopp fumes over company reprieve. Uh, you've also got Lowe to miss Toulouse clash as Kelleher eyes lengths the return. That's James Lowe. He's got uh, a ban which will see him miss next weekend's Toulouse match for Leinster in the Champions Cup. And uh, another one here, John Fallon writing that Duff departs as Fahey takes Hoop's role. So Shamrock Rovers have replaced one former Irish international with another as Keith Fahey was yesterday confirmed as part of their underage coaching setup with Damien Duff uh, departing, expected to go to Celtic. Big news as well in the Shamrock Rovers uh, Celtic dynamic as well in the Irish Daily Mail, which Johnny will get to in a moment. Just a couple of the other Manchester City headlines. Sané ignites title race, says the back of the Times Island edition. The City win puts them four points behind Liverpool and company escapes red card for lunge on Salah. And the front page of the Irish Examiner sports section, Leroy Lifeline. Sané's strike reduces gap to four points, punctures Liverpool's invincible ambitions. So Arsenal fans popping the champagne corks this morning. Yeah, um, I'll start with actually the Racing Post just because it's the paper next to me. Um, a mere formality. The, the Racing Post goes with Tranmere and Tottenham on the back page. Interesting here, Troy Parrott could be on the bench mm. uh, tonight and he's been kind of on the fringes of the squad. Um, so you'd imagine a game like this, Spurs would, would be recognised as not having maybe the deepest squad in the world. Um, we'll see what they actually have maybe throughout the FA Cup because you'd imagine Pochettino will use it. So I think if Troy Parrott could get a run, it'd be fascinating to see. I'd say he's probably our most exciting young player, bar everyone, including Rice because he's not necessarily ours. But uh, the front of the race post, HRI chief, SIS and ATR to blame for absence of video archive. This is, um, it's very much a story that only racing people would have been interested in, but basically... Um, 
at the races was taken over by Racing UK for the rights of Irish TV in January. It's €31 uh, euro a month, so that was controversial. But um, they've had a bit of a disagreement over the replays of previous races. So, like, I was wanting to watch a couple of uh, previous races with a view to Dundalk car tonight, but I've, I actually can't watch them. They're literally nowhere online. And um, Ger Lyons, the trainer, has come out and he said to at the races, which is now Sky Sports Racing, every time you ask me for an interview, I was courteous enough to uh, give it to you and now you're taking my video replays away I, my trainer my jockeys can't look at form when they're trying to analyse the race beforehand and um HRI got involved and uh, now it seems that they're, they're trying to resolve it because it's been a big PR boo-boo and uh, Racing TV which is really trying to kind of um you know, set itself up as a friend of Irish racing because it has just gotten the rights. Is like, well, we need to get this sorted very quickly. So it was. It's just. It's. It's kind of been the big story in racing this mm-hmm. week. Um, this is the sun in Sane, um, and obviously it's just talking about the, the that ridiculous goal that wasn't and and the the crazy move that. I mean, when you look at these these madcap things that are just talking about inches, Origi's goal like sh- should never have happened on so many levels and then that last night was kind of I suppose some sort of a rep- retribution but well, there's been like so, so many bizarre things that have happened over the past six weeks in, in the Premier League mm. even on a very on a smaller level like the likes of Andras Townsend hitting the ball more perfectly than any other human being has ever hit a football before to, to send City into their first defeat and then uh, Ricardo Pereira doing something similar not as sweet as Andras Townsend but also another bizarrely beautiful hit to send City into another defeat obviously the, the pick for a mistake is definitely yeah. the most weird thing that's happened so far this season that was that was crazy like I, I was I was tweeting yesterday putting it up there with uh, the Nicky Quaid save for Liverpool last year which maybe getting a, a bit ahead of myself like we won't know uh, for a few months up a lot of sore points here the Nicky um, Quaid save and of course of, uh, oh, Limerick win the All-Ireland and all that but um you know the the goal, the Origi goal from from what we expect Liverpool as a team to think that it was just lump forward, then this like ridiculously badly hit shot by Van Dijk that should have gone over, but somehow just went in the only place where the keeper could possibly make a mistake, and then Origi was just off the bench, and you're just like Liverpool will win the title if 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 this is anything to go by, mm. and. Um, that was just insane last night. You know, you have two teams of such beauty and such virtuosity, but you're talking about Stones just getting there by by literally like a millisecond later, and 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 they're toast. As so. soon as I say I get ahead of myself, the tweet happens uh, to go up on screen. As soon as I I kill uh, the kind of validity of my own tweet, uh, Tommy puts it up on screen. So thanks for that. I also compare uh, him. You to got LeBron your grammar James. right as well. To be fair, is goal line a word? Uh, probably not uh, like to be fair I, I think we were all just a little bit excited and uh, grammar was the last thing on my mind last night were you happy with the retweets and the likes uh, <laughs> sure. didn't, really, didn't really think about it to be quite honest would well, you be we, happy with that we yes. all do that's the only reason we put it up there to see can we improve in previous figures uh, sad word of social sad word of speak social for yourself Johnny I just do it for my own soul really just yeah, well, to, that's, as, as a sound that's as a sounding board for myself soulful media um, <laughs> yeah so we have the um, and by the way, if you have any New Year's resolution, just and I don't mean you, just as, as in general to people, just spend a lot less time on your phone and on social media. Just one mine, it is one of mine. Actually. Turn off your phone a lot more. Put it on flight mode. You're not on call. Just turn off your phone um, at any time of the day, as long as you're not, you know, your missus isn't expecting a baby any minute soon. And get off social media, especially during football games. Actually, watch the game mm. and react to it afterwards. Well, you don't need to comment endlessly during the game. Totally. There was actually no opportunity to tweet during the game mm. last night. People still would have found it. 
I'm sure um, they would have. But and we're now programmed to. If it, there should be a study done on football fans watching games at the ground and also on TV. What percentage? You know the way. Like what percentage is the ball out of play? What percentage do football fans spend now on their phone or on their laptop tweeting about it? And it should it should be a lot less? Do you find yourself drifting during a football match? Oh, yeah. and but it's just um, the way our minds are now, um, because of just repetition, repetition, repetition of having a phone. Um, and when you go to games, you find yourself checking other scores, and then like, and still almost like texting your mates the update from a League of Ireland game, even though he can probably know that anyway. He's access to his phone, which will tell him the score anyway. So it's it's just this kind of um, lack of attention span that I think you're present, but you're absent. Yeah, and and you're always like, oh, I need to look at my phone and see what people are commenting on this game when you don't actually, and you'd be better educated if you watch the game. So that's anyway, and that's I'm looking at myself as much as anyone else, sir. Um, the Irish Daily Mail. I love this. Philip Quinn, Celtics bid for a sizable stake in Rovers. Mm-hmm. I love an old-fashioned back page exclusive, um, and this is purportedly an exclusive as well, so I, I'll take it. It is Philip, a real old um, warrior of the Irish uh, soccer journalism. Um, and this is, it's, it's not exactly a, a surprising development in ways because, like, there's a lot of money there if you take over League of Ireland club now, potentially in Europe, and this third-tier competition that's happening in Europe, um, I don't think everyone is sure about the details, but financially it's supposed to be very good for League of Ireland clubs. So the prospect of getting into the Champions League is ever further away, but this is is definitely a way of um, ensuring that there's a lot of money to be made in Europe. And the League of Ireland doesn't have enough depth such that if you don't put in enough money, you should be well able to get into the top four. And Shamrock Rovers have shown with Gavin Bazuna, um, who people have forgotten about maybe that he's gone to Man City, but he's very young and time is on his side. I think he turned 17 next month. Um, he and Graham Burke went for pretty large fees by League of Ireland standards this year. And Rovers have put a lot of money into uh, their development out in... Um, Roadstone, but like, so what's the story here? Dermot Desmond so, so Dermot is Desmond is, he's he's um, he's reputed to be behind the groundbreaking move. Now Dermot Desmond has obviously been involved with Celtic for however long, but like it's always been a bit of a gripe of mine. Dermot Desmond is Irish, you know, he's been deeply involved in Irish business. Like, why would he not take over League of Ireland club? And it would be for small money. And in terms of like, I guess this is his first step, is it not? So, like, yeah. who knows what the, the grander plan is? But yeah, well, according to Philip's story, um, it's mutually beneficial. And again, I've no problem with this. That Rovers players could. Potentially Potentially move to Celtic, which I think the SPL is a good move for League of Ireland clubs as well. I think um, you know you're, you're going to be playing in the top division. You have certainly a better chance, and you know you're you're in an extremely well attended uh, league. And also, it's progression if you want to move to the next step. I think we need to get over this fascination of having to move to Britain. There are other leagues that Irish uh, Irish clubs could play in, or Irish players could play in anyway. But also that uh, Celtic could lend players out to Rovers to give them development in the League of Ireland, which would be suitable for them because again, the SPL isn't that much higher than the League of Ireland at a certain level. Um, so it could be mutually beneficial. And it says that they've enjoyed, um, you know close links that Rovers have um, welcomed Celtic over for um, friendlies and the two managers Brendan Rodgers and Stephen Bradley are said to have high regard for each other um, which again I, I wasn't aware of that but you know, Bradley's a young manager and it's an in, a very interesting development because I think Rovers potentially 
could could well become like the biggest club in Ireland, and they should be, even though they're probably not at the moment. You know, it's, you could nearly say it's Cork City, Linfield could be up there as well. But Rovers are the ones who, in ten years' time, I think will could well be the dominant force because of the money they're putting in and the, their youth development. You know, you spoke about Damien Duff being gone, but um, he's left a big imprint there in terms of professionalism at that club from under 15s up training. At we're tired this morning, but these kids were getting up three or four mornings a week at, at a similar time to train before they went to school. Rovers are putting kids into school, they're really high calibre kids, giving them free education. Um, and I don't, a lot of other League of Ireland clubs just can't match that. And Shamrock Rovers still have the name of being a huge club. So really interesting development. So I want to see how that story develops. And great, as, a, as a, a journalist that is very, very true to the spirit of getting a story on the back page and not having it online before it breaks. And it always is that quagmire. I don't want somebody else to get the story before I do. And then it appears in the back page and it's not even exclusive anymore. Kudos to Philip Quinn for getting that. But the thing is always to leak it online at midnight when all the other papers are gone to print. Yeah, um, but then it's like on a web page, and that's kind of. I, I still just like you know the the notion of sadly people aren't buying papers much anymore uh, or not as much anymore. But in any event, I still like the, the exclusive, uh, the Irish Daily Star. Happy Blue Year! Tide risk back on as Klopp rages at company tackle, um, and Defoe to join Jers, which is uh, an interesting one. Jermaine Defoe, um, a very very admirable character in many ways in in his career and in terms of how he's, um, you know made an imprint off the pitch with uh, of course that kid who was so sick that he was you know obviously such a profound influence on him could be going to Rangers who uh, at the last time I checked are top of the league yeah, yeah. well level on points certainly level on points Celtic, yeah. after the old firm and um, Scotland's gotten very interesting I think I was saying this uh, to you on Saturday it's like five points between first and fourth in Scotland yeah. at this time of the year which is really insane um, Mirror Sport formidable Sané slashes Liverpool's title lead in Thriller um, and obviously it's completely dominant the Guardian City Ignite title race I think that's pretty uh, pretty accurate there and uh, yeah that's about all we have the Daily Telegraph now you're going to believe us um, and it was that man Aguero of course who, who did the business so it, it was uh, it was a good day to get an exclusive on the back page because it was obviously very much Man City heavy yeah absolutely uh, lots of comments coming in on last night's game uh, Eric McCormick's been in touch to say we got it wrong in midfield last night obviously a Liverpool fan no fluid passes came out of the middle Seamus Cunningham says a lover and drawn to the ball for both goals he will never be good enough just doesn't agree. have the, just, agree really just yeah. doesn't have the temperament slash attention span hence he is fourth choice at Liverpool second goal was embarrassing how he got drawn to leaving Trent Alexander-Arnold exposed and John Devery says four points ahead with 17 games left We've seen what happened when they were five points ahead with three games to go. Playing relegation, battling teams at the end of the season is a lottery. Anything can happen. It's, John, not, a, it's, not, it's, it's not a lottery, though, in fairness. Like, OK, it's not a lottery, but it you certainly know, gets... The, the fixture list, you look at the fixture list now and it's like, well, easy game, easy game, easy game. Mm. Just give it another ten games and see who's actually in, in the relegation battle yeah, at that point. But so there's safe. still such a chasm in quality that Liverpool should be... I wouldn't be as worried about those games. I'd be worried about the, the fine margins of, of the games against maybe the top six teams. But I think it was David Pleat was writing today. This is something that we haven't mentioned. And Trent Alexander-Arnold was questioning a little bit about his defence of um, job last night but his role with Robertson for that goal was um, it was so enjoyable to watch I, I saw him turn inside and you could see that Robertson had made the run but this is full back to full back and it's on his bad foot and to have the 
it wasn't it wasn't an audacious attempt. It was the pass he had to play because if he can find Robertson, Liverpool are in behind and they've breached Man City's line. But to find him with that backspin on his left foot and to, the delivery was literally inch perfect. And you've that flailing. I'm not sure was it not sure what Man City defender was flailing to get back there. But to see fullbacks, company, actually. It, I, I don't think it was company. It might have been Stones, but to to see fullbacks combine like that, and I think David Pleat said it was reminiscent of like um, Brazil teams of old that they were so attacking the two fullbacks. But it was a beautiful, beautiful goal and Firmino just had to be clever enough to know that Robertson wasn't going to take a shot and goal from the header and um, I thought it was a fantastic pass and I think Trent Alexander-Arnold will be just like rueful that it didn't actually mean anything in the overall scheme of things. They lost the game because it was a beautiful goal. Yeah, they were two fascinating battles on both flanks, Robertson versus Sterling and uh, Alexander-Arnold against Sané and it was like you mentioned the cross there. What I was most impressed about was the idea that if I was in Alexander-Arnold's position there, I'm trying to go on the outside of Sané and whipping that ball in. And he's actually thinking to himself, no, I've got a better opportunity of finding Robertson if I just cut back in yeah. and uh, play it the other way. So. And if, if you're a kid listening in, like, um, which you probably shouldn't be at this hour of the morning, but like the quality of being able to use both... Yeah, but should you be listening to the radio? Maybe you should be listening to sport this hour of the morning. Should I think you should. On your way to school. In any event, to be able to kick with both feet like that what an example there because he was he was shown the inside probably by you know a player who's thinking I'll put him on his left and that's minimising the damage but he actually had a lot of time on his left then and Robertson also had a lot of time and you know I think he's Robertson's really become an excellent excellent fullback I know um, like he was absolutely burned in the second half when he went he basically was um, what's his name you just mentioned the excellent player no Sterling Sterling basically just burned him for pace and put oh, in this yeah, the... an unbelievable pass to Aguero afterwards yeah. where he made the exact right decision I thought Sterling did some very good things outside Robertson is a very very good player probably world class left back at this stage and um, if Liverpool lose the league I don't think it'll be because of their full backs yeah for sure I, I thought Robertson was Liverpool's best player last night I thought if Liverpool had won the game or even if they'd drawn the game I thought it would have been a man of the match performance we are going to return to the football very shortly Pat Nevin will join us to give us his analysis on the game but we are going to change tactics to rugby very briefly because yesterday afternoon I caught up with former Irish rugby star Shane Byrne to learn more about Ireland versus England Legends rugby match. Uh, you probably know it takes place every year and this year it's in the RDS on February the 1st. Have a look at this. Okay, so Shane Byrne was joined by Malcolm O'Kelly this week and Marcus Horne to launch the Ireland versus England Rugby Legends match. It takes place in the RDS on Friday the 1st of February with all proceeds from this great event being split amongst the My Name's Dotty Foundation, Rugby Players Ireland Foundation, Restart Rugby, the IRFU Charitable Trust and Irish Motor Neuron Charities. For tickets, you can search hashtag Rugby Legends or visit Ticketmaster.ie and I'm delighted to say that Shane Byrne joins us on the line now. Shane, how are things? Very good. And yourself? Not too bad, thanks. So uh, this is a, a match that many people will know about. It takes place every time uh, England come to play Ireland in the Six Nations. It is the weekend uh, of the big game. And this year, uh, it's an aid of the Dottie Weir Foundation. Obviously, a great, great cause for Dottie, who's suffering with motor neuron disease at the moment. Yeah, look, you'd want to be stuck underneath a rock, really, in rugby terms, not to be well aware of what's happening with Dottie. Uh, it's a terrible diagnosis, as we know. We've lost just when the best taste in a couple of years back with the same thing. And Unfortunately, Dottie's cause is all about trying to find a cure because right now, as we speak, there isn't one. And uh, Dottie is just bravely keeping going and flying around the world, just raising awareness and raising as much funds as we can. We've always done this uh, charity event. We're in our 11th year. We've raised over a million sterling 
for charities, mainly injured players' funds. But every now and again, a special cause comes along. And as I say, we're all very, very aware of what's happened with Doddy. And uh, myself and Jason Leonard and Len Deneen, who put the event together, we just said, look, this is something we have to get behind. And everybody really, really is hoping that something can be done to, you know, that there might be a bit of good news for Doddy and his family. Yeah, absolutely. And whenever you look at interviews with Dottie over the past six months or so, and I know he's going to be in Ireland next week and for the event yeah. itself all going well, it's remarkable how in- encouraged he is by all the support. And it is events like this that keep the morale up and an extremely tough time for him and his family. Yeah, I've spoken to him several times and about this in particular. And, you know, he always is talking about what a humbling experience it is for him. Because, look, as rugby players, we're all aware that People are vaguely aware. People are vaguely aware of who you are, and they might have seen you play. But when something like this happens to one of our own, as we would say, it's like Doddy's uh, when he was you no know, diagnosed like that. That's when the rugby family really starts getting exercise and really starts supporting it. And he's found it very, very humbling. It, it, it as we say, it's a hard time for him and his family, but. You know, he's just driven on by the support that he has and that so many people are coming behind us. And we're just one of a long, long list. But to me, there hasn't been too much going on in Ireland for this. There has been small bits and pieces, individuals doing what they can. But to me, I'd really hope that people can get behind this and just really, as I said, pull that rugby family together. And it's it's something very, very important. You're going to come. You're going to be very entertained in the game. We've made it a little bit unique. Yeah, for the first time, this is the 11th year our game has been going going on, and this is the first time we're going to allow a different country. And so, we're as guests, we're going to have four Scottish players, Scottish internationals, are playing with us. Right. So that's going to add a little twist to it. Where we've made a unique jersey, and uh, we'll add a little bit of a twist in our full intentions of beating the hell out of it. <laughs> Uh, I was just going to ask because, as I say, it is uh, Ireland against England. Obviously, uh, a yeah. few Scots thrown into the mix this time. Presumably, like obviously, it's for a great cause and all that, but the, the rivalry isn't uh, too shallow, I'd imagine. I'm, I'm sure a few things flare up during this match every second year. Oh, they do. Listen, you can't, with rugby, and particularly as we've all played at a very high level, you can't water it down too much. <laughs> you know, you can only make it uncontested scrums, which it is, and rolling subs. But after that, it's full on, and it's it's as hard as guys make it. And there's no nothing shirked away from it. The skill levels are still there. The bodies might move quite as fast as they used to, but it, they're still very, very entertaining games. And we had our first draw, would you believe, last year over in London, which was uh, you know something that nobody was too happy about. If we wanted to yeah. win the game, but the rivalry is there absolutely, and you can't help it. But the great thing is. There's no anger in these times. You'll hit the guy good and hard, but then, look, he'll have him back off the ground. And, uh, you know, that's what it's all about. Because we have, it's back almost to the amateur days of the pure enjoyment of the game, the reason that we all play it. But it's fantastic seeing we're now in the generation of players. Gordon Darcy was the first one who came along a couple of years ago to play with us, who had never, he went straight from school to professional rugby. He never experienced anything really to do with club rugby or that kind of ethos. So it's great to see his eyes opened up to the fun side of rugby. (laughs) And the reason why us older guys really love the game.
Absolutely, yeah. And as we said, it is for a fantastic cause. Ticketmaster is where you can get tickets and uh, you can look up hashtag Rugby Legends as well if you're interested in heading along the weekend of the Ireland-England game in the Six Nations. Uh, we should chat about uh, a rivalry of a different kind, uh, Shane. It is uh, the week where we've all been talking about Leinster against Munster, a pretty testy affair down in Thoman Park a few days ago at this stage. Uh, what was your sense of the whole game? For a lot of us, I think we were uh, kind of in admiration of the idea that Leinster versus Munster sort of hate each other again. <laughs> yes, and I suppose that's where we could start from. Is 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 simply, you know, regardless of how it came about, it was great to see that that rivalry was still there. Much mm. discussion about that it didn't mean as much to the players as it used to. The squad rotations; those two teams absolutely tore into one another. And okay, Leinster didn't deal with the situation as well as they should have. That's a different argument to me. That is very much still about the fact that the passion was still there. And you could see from the way even Johnny Sexton, the World Player of the Year, was reacting to it, that this meant so much. As I've always said, the guys who you know the best are the guys you want to lose the least. And these guys know each other absolutely inside out. And that's exactly, you know, the passion you want to see. Then you go on to analysing the game. They probably, listen, both sides should have done, to me, so many things just slightly different but look, it, it was great to see the first half. And, you know, the win to Munster was, was well-deserved. Yeah. What will it be like for those guys going into Ireland camp? I know it's a bit down the line at this point uh, after <laughs> an experience like that. I'm sure it'll all be shelved, right? I yeah, no, there's no... Listen, it's always been like that. And back in the days when, you know, the, the Interpros were still the, part of the main part of the seasons and the main... You could look at them almost as trials, that they are, you know... The Irish squad still, you go in, that's under a different camp, you have a different jersey on your back, yeah, you still love your province, but yeah, it's all forgiven. You know, but that's the respect that they have for one another, is that they will not take a step back. You know, that is you know, showing respect, you know, in, in the true sense of the word, that if you didn't treat the guys like that, it's, it's almost a little disrespect, and, and I don't think they did that. And to be honest with you, I, I loved the first half of that game in particular. I just mm. thought it was great to see. Bit of brainless stuff, bit of silliness, but still it was great to see that pure out-and-out passion and how much it meant to those players. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Leinster this week, they're up against Ulster at 5.15 mm-hmm. on Saturday this weekend. Uh, what, what would Leinster have learned from last weekend? I mean, it's obviously a crucial period coming up from them. It's still, from an Irish perspective, every province still has to do their bit in the Champions Cup section. But this weekend, the Interpros have the added spice of being conference match-ups, match-ups as well. Obviously, uh, yep. it's uh, Conference B for Leinster and Ulster this weekend. Yep. Um Look, to be honest with you, I think one of the main things that came out of the game last weekend was, was Leinster's discipline. And I think it's been something that's been talked about in positive ways in so many for so many seasons that their discipline is normally very, very good. And I think that's one thing they'll want to get very, very much back on track this weekend is that they are back in control of that area in any kind of, you know, discipline issues, any type, any type of tight scenarios where you could go one way or the other, that that's what they showed the control because that's what they need when they go back into Europe. They need to have that discipline because now sides have kind of shown, you know, you saw the way Bath tore into them in the, in the previous pools of Europe and they showed the way how Munster 
got in among them and upset them. And a lot of sides are going to be paying attention to that in Europe so that, you know, they'll really think, look, this is maybe the route to go with these guys, is tear into them physically, upset them, make them get, make simple errors. And, you know, maybe there's going to be a weak underbelly and Leinster need to show that that just isn't the case, that they're still mm. open for business in the highly disciplined way that they have been right up until this stage. Yeah, just a quick word on Ulster. Obviously, they've come up, come on leaps yeah. and bounds, really, I think it's fair to say, this season. At the same time, though, it's probably not sensible to be throwing your lot in against Leinster this weekend, given the huge opportunity they have in the Champions Cup. Rasting, of course, coming on January the 12th, yeah. I think. And you look at the likes of Jordy Murphy and John Cooney, who've played uh, all five, really, of the, of the last few games uh, in the Pro 14. So it's probably more sensible for them to put, them, put their eggs in the European basket at the moment, right? No doubt. Absolutely, no doubt. Um, I, to be quite honest with you, I've been, you know, very impressed with with Ulster of the last couple of weeks. It's been great to see them starting to show form. But I honestly thought the undoing of them was going to be the Interpros because they have lost the ability over the last few years, and you're going back five, six years to play the other Irish provinces. They doesn't irrelevant to the form that they're in up until those games. They don't play well against Irish provinces, and I think Munster handed them. A bit of a lifeline in the sense that they rotated their squad quite heavily heading up. They got that win, which was something for them, no doubt about it. But I can't see them being able to, because they need to rotate their squad quite a bit. As you say, with a huge week coming up, I, I cannot see them going out all guns blazing for this game. No. Uh, and then finally, Connacht against Munster. It's at 25-8 to mm. eight on Saturday evening in the sports ground. Connacht can actually leapfrog Munster in Conference A with a win. They're going to be missing Bundiaki, but I guess from a Connacht perspective, they don't have the Champions Cup to worry about. Of course, they've still got uh, Challenge Cup matches coming up, but yeah. the carrot of Munster looking at the end of January is, is a much bigger one than Connacht. So they can really focus on uh, this Saturday evening in Galway, can't they? Yeah, look, to be quite honest with you, I've been confused a few times with Connacht's selection, but it seems to be working. They're rotating reasonably well. Bundyaki not been there. Yeah, it's, it's a blow. Look, he's a fantastic player. So important to everything that they do. But it's, it's uh, yeah, there's a great opportunity for Connacht to come here because Munster do have to have an eye on what's happening in the next couple of weeks. Not saying Connacht won't do that either. And one thing you have to say about Connacht is that they are managing to be able to rotate a squad they are finally being able to get depth into the squad through this squad rotation. But I would expect Connacht to have a very, very strong push at getting a win against Munster. That would be exactly what they need. Yeah, absolutely. It is a double header in the Pro 14 in terms of Interpros this weekend. It's 5.15 for Leinster against Ulster and then 7.35 Connacht against Munster. You've been listening to Shane Byrne. He was joined by Malcolm O'Kelly and Marcus Horn to launch the Ireland versus England Rugby Legends match taking place at the RDS on Friday the 1st of February. All proceeds from this fantastic event are going to be split amongst the My Name's Doddy Foundation, Rugby Players Ireland Foundation, Restart Rugby, the IRFU Charitable Trust and Irish Motor Neuron Charities. For tickets, you can search hashtag Rugby Legends Legends, I should say, or visit Ticketmaster.ie. Shane Byrne, thanks a million for your time. No problem. Yeah, Shane Byrne speaking to me uh, yesterday afternoon about uh, the Dolly Weir charity match, uh, which is coming up uh, next month, as we say, just before the England game in the Six Nations. Darren Cleary, a very good morning to you. Morning, all. How are things? Not too bad at all yourself. Not too bad. Did you sleep well last night? Did you watch the game and have these palpitations of a, of a sleep that kind of stopped you from actually getting anything substantial? I did. It was the excitement of it all. Because even though you're you're trying not to think about it, it's hard to be so emotionally invested. You nearly want to be falling asleep on the couch just before you go to bed. But instead, you're you're at you're not at the edge of your seat, but you're at the 
lying on the couch equivalent of the edge of your seat. Do you know the mad thing as well in the States, they've like NFL games at nine o'clock that finish after midnight. They're like, how do people function? Like they, mm. they're leaving the stadium after midnight. Because that game even at eight o'clock last night was quite late. But uh, I've gone against one of my New Year's resolutions. I went on social media there and some, some girl was on it. She said, I just can't sleep last night. And a guy replies, well, I, I know why you can't sleep. St- stop following Glenn Torn. <laughs> Glenn Torn are having a very bad year. In Rockstar and we're in... Well, it's effectively Glen Torn's colours. Black, Johnny. red and green. Yeah. Johnny is uh, selling me out here. It's actually a very stylish top that my brother got me for Christmas. Oh, yeah? What, what sort of stylish top is it? Well, it's just the Glen Torn colours, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's nice. We're Johnny's good fashion for me. choice. Thanks a lot. Because Glen Torn have been it's linked nice with shelf. a big takeover as well from, uh, I think, I'm not sure if it's someone like a lot more exotic than than um, Irish taking over anyway it was like someone from maybe the Middle East or something like that but um, again another sleeping giant of a club that like could be so much bigger has like nearly the whole of East Belfast to itself an old ground in the Oval that like is kind of falling apart but again you know all those European rewards could be there and uh, it's not you is it? No I wish I had the money I would always be wary though of uh, Direct foreign investment I would. in the League of Ireland. Saudi Arabian, Galway United to take over. What happened there? Yeah, what did happen there? Johnny, you're the man. You're the inside track on Galway. What's going on? Um, I may be the inside track in Galway, but I'm not on. I'm not on the inside track in Riyadh or what went okay. on there. Like, but what um, happened was Saudi Arabia became aware of a club called Manchester United and decided yeah. to look into that as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that one develops. Yeah. Anyway, the thing is, the last line in Quinner's piece in the Daily Mail, I know you're talking about Rovers and Celtic earlier. He mentions it's the only time I think Celtic. Rovers and Man City will all be in the same article because he mentions, you know, uh, multiple club ownership is now a new model where you've got mm. the guys who own City also have a franchise in New York. So it's not unheard of for Celtic to own Rovers. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way. Shamrock Rovers, uh, the PSG. They'd be partners, of course. They'd wouldn't be, be partners. Yeah, they wouldn't. And they wear the same colours. Feeder club. Uh, yeah, not a feeder club. So. Yeah. Although substantial investment or was the uh, yeah. substantial stake was, I think, the word. It's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure you've got other interesting stuff in your bulletin. We do, but um, we'll start with last night's excitement because it hasn't subsided just yet. Man City have blown the Premier League title race wide open by inflicting Liverpool's first defeat of the season. The Reds remain four points clear despite going down 2-1 to their nearest rivals. Sergio Aguero got his seventh goal in seven home appearances against Liverpool. Roberto Firmino brought the leaders back into it when he scored on 64 minutes before Leroy Sané netted the winner. Defender Vincent Kompany delighted with how brave they were against the table toppers. I'm even worried about the result, to be honest. I'm absolutely um, buzzing with a tremendous performance. You know, we uh, went toe-to-toe with a very physical, very aggressive team, and I think we matched them for everything, if not more. Um, the result is a result. Liverpool is still in their hands, but the performance was, was beyond, beyond anything I've, I've ever witnessed today. It came from the guts. That's it. Um, we said before, you know, the 12th man is... It's, it's more than just the fans, it's uh, something from within, it's, it's a desire, it's something to, that, that you can't describe and today was there and it made us a better team, we, we're a better team when, when we play with emotions. Now Jurgen Klopp was not happy with that man after the game, he believes Vincent Kompany should have been sent off for a late tackle on Mo Salah with half an hour played, the game still at nil-nil, the City skipper dived into a challenge on Salah. He was bursting through on goal at the time. The Belgium defender got nowhere near the ball. He looked like he caught the Liverpool forward with the studs. Company escaped with just a yellow, much to the surprise of Klopp. I like him. He's such a fantastic player. Um, outstanding. I loved him already when he was at Hamburg, stuff like that. What a career. All good. But situations like this happen. You make, a player makes a decision, it goes on the ground, makes a sliding tackle and wants to defend a situation. But it just it took the risk. And I say if Mo is on his feet, really, if he's not 
in the moment where he jumps over him, then he, well, we all know that. And we talk differently then. Eh? Still a nice guy with a really bad decision. So then do, that's why we said last time, and somebody asked me, is that a dive, is that a dive? Do we need blood? Is that like this? Is, is the situation, do you really need an open something? and think, wow, of course, that must be. So in that situation, everybody knows if Mo can go through, come on, what happens there? Yeah? Meanwhile, John O'Shea believes Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be given the chance to manage Manchester United on a permanent basis with four wins from four. The former United striker has now equaled the record set by Matt Busby for best ever start for a manager. The former Ireland captain preparing to face his old club with Reading in the FA Cup and the Waterford native believe Solskjaer has made a solid case to get the full-time gig. Well, why not? Um, why not would be the answer to that. If Obviously, if he keeps that run going, um, if he has success in... Hopefully not the FA Cup, but the Champions League and carries on the run in the league. Um, he'll be putting himself in right front, a front runner for the job. That's for sure. He'll uh, he'll want to carry on that momentum he's created early on, and he'll he'll definitely be under consideration. I'm sure. A Chelsea fan has been fined over €1,000 and banned from attending football matches for three years after being found guilty of homophobic chants. 20-year-old George Bradley thrown out of Brighton's Amex Stadium last month. He pleaded guilty to using threatening, abusive or insulting words at Brighton Magistrates Court yesterday. Last month, Chelsea suspended four supporters from attending matches while an investigation into alleged racial abuse of Man City forward Raheem Sterling takes place. Craig Bellamy has denied allegations that he bullied a former youth team player at Cardiff City. The club are investigating a complaint made by David Madden with regards to treatment of his 16-year-old son Alfie. The dad, a former footballer himself who played in the 1990 FA Cup final for Crystal Palace, Bellamy has stepped down from his position as under-18s coach while the club carry out an investigation, but he has denied allegations of bullying. In rugby, Leinster will have to plan without James Lowe for the next few weeks in the Interpro Derby. First up with Ulster, he has been banned for two weeks following his red card in Saturday's defeat to Munster. The Leinster winger was initially slapped with a four-week suspension. That was reduced in half due to his previously clean record. He'll miss the Pro 14 meeting with Ulster and the following week's Champions Cup pool clash with Toulouse. In golf, Rory McIlroy is tied for sixth place heading into the second day of the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii. The Ulsterman shot an opening round of 69 to lie on four under par. That's three shots behind the leader, Kevin Tway of the USA. He's a shot clear of the chasing pack on seven under. And we'll finish our roundup this morning with one from the archive. This, a brilliant Saipan anecdote from a documentary called Red Mist, which came out in 2007. It was doing the rounds on social media yesterday. It contained a story from a man named John White who lived in Saipan in 2002. He brought his 11-year-old son to watch Ireland training while they're on the island. Here's his story. I actually didn't notice much happening on the field until my 11-year-old son came over to me and said, uh, Dad, uh, what's the fucking bollocks? Obviously, I was a bit taken aback by uh, I said, where did you hear that? And he said, uh, Roy Keane just called one of those guys a fucking bollocks. So what was the rumpus? On the face of it, Roy blew a gasket when he saw the goalkeepers retiring early from training, just when the usual end-of-session match was about to kick off. After directing some filthy language at the goalies, he stormed off to fume alone on the team bus. Shortly after getting back to the hotel, Roy went to Mick and told him he'd had enough. Whatever it was that was bugging him, he wanted to go home. How have I not seen this before? 
I said I was sick of Saipan, but then I saw that and I watched it and I thought, how do I not know something about Saipan? How did I miss this? Are we able, we're able to play that live, obviously, and it's not, you know, hmm? to dub out the words or anything? No, but sure, as you say, there's no kids watching us at uh, 846. There eight. aren't, yeah. I think Roy was, you know, the, the rights of the wrongs, but I think Roy was in a very, very troubled place during that trip, um, regardless of how shoddy the FAI's, uh, you know, he was probably just a very, very angry man at everyone, including himself. Yeah, if, if he was a footballer in twenty eight or 2019, I think his New Year's resolution should be the same as yours, just to quell that anger small but don't go on social media. Yeah. Imagine the volcanic eruption that would have been Roy Keane if he was a footballer in 2019 and having the constant uh, feed of Saipan anger. was the product of a volcanic eruption, the island itself. That's a very yeah. good point, actually. That's exactly the point I made. A lovely segue. I, I was just seeing if anybody was going to pick up on my pun. Uh, thank you very much for that, Darren. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, no, you weren't. That's a lie. <laughs> So Jonathan Walters was on commentary duty for us and off the ball last night at the Etihad Stadium as Manchester City beat Liverpool 2-1 uh, but of course Nathan Murphy was chatting to him after the game and of course he just managed to wander into the territory of talking about Declan Rice <laughs> Well as the one area of the pitch that maybe Manchester City don't have any backup right mm-hmm. now and you were making the point during commentary that maybe there's a 19 year old out there who that maybe already is at the level the City might be looking at uh, I think he, he had a difficult start to the season. I mean, talking about Declan Rice, he had a difficult start to the season. Uh, out the team, he's he's come in, made the place you know, position his own. He's uh, he's unbelievable, and every time I watch him, it's, it's a composure for a 19-year-old. We talk about young players now in the Premier League, 22, 21, 22, 23. He's 19. He's played a full season. It's the second one. Um, he's a standout player for me for West Ham. Uh, he's so composed on the ball, he gets stuck in, does all the, the work that Fernandinho does there. So, if it's one of the big clubs, uh, I said it last week, although he's signed a new contract, he's one player we'll be looking at. Yeah, he's maybe, if anything, just raised his value. But from what you've seen of him, and you'll have trained with him, you'll have seen him during the summer with the games with the yeah. Republic of Ireland, you think he's good enough to get to this level? Yeah, yeah, I think he is. He's, uh, he's got the mentality in terms of. Um, he's signed a new contract that won't go to his head he'll be putting down and working uh, twice as hard um, if he can do that his, his composure on the ball is it, it's his class on the ball he, he wants the ball in any position he gets it in any position I've seen that when we played like France for example and somebody playing against world class players he always shown for the ball he always wanted it he sniffs out danger left foot right foot and does the unseen work he's good in the air he's played centre half whether that's his position and he's just coming into midfield he's just looks composed on the ball Everything you're saying is either unbelievably good news or unbelievably depressing, depending on what decision he makes over the coming months. People have very, very strong views on this, particularly since he was in the squad and you were in the squad as well. Where do you stand on the decision that he faces and on what can be done and what should be done and what he should be thinking about? Look, I said, touched upon a minute ago, we had a difficult start to the season and I spoke about this earlier on um, in the season. Perhaps it was a time for him to get his head down and knuckle on being a West Ham player. Um, for a 19-year-old, a lot of pressure to be put on his shoulders. Um, he's played for Ireland, um, a very good player and one you'd welcome with open arms um, of how good he is uh, and what he can do for the country. But you know, he's, he, he's taken time away. Um, nothing could have happened between now and March anyway. He can't play because there's no game, so I'm sure a decision will be made. Um, but speaking on behalf of myself, you know, you, you do want him included. Um, Can you text him there and beg him? Do you want me to? <laughs> <laughs> the nation wants you to, particularly no, what you've look, just been look, saying. Um, I'm sure people have spoke to him anyway. Um, I've spoke to him, but, but I'll keep that to myself. You know what I've said, but... Um, 
have a player of his quality, you want him involved, of course we do. Um, but he's 19, you've got to realise that there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And you know, as you said, a lot of people that have had strong views about it, it's difficult for him. Um, 19, just signing a new contract at West Ham, everything's going for him. There'll be time to make that decision, I'm sure. One last thing. When are we going to see you back playing? Uh, I saw the specialist before uh, Christmas and it's still on track for another three months. It's been three months, so that's six months in total. Um, I said just a minute ago, I'm doing everything I can, working as hard as possible. It's exhaustion every single day in the gym. Uh, I'm doing as much as I can to get back as uh, fit and as quickly as possible. And I'd imagine not just for Burnley for the end of the season, but a new Ireland manager, Euro 2020, the buzz that's coming back to the national team with the change of management, that's very much front of mind as well. Yeah, look, we've had a look, look no bones about it, we've had a very difficult year. Um, the whole vibe around the place with the the, the year we've had and the, the, the fans, the, the media, the players, it wasn't all together. There's a new manager now, it's just got to be anything, um, it's got to be positive. It's, it's going to be, we've got a good start to the qualifying campaign, say in Gibraltar, and the games we've got to go into that, so hopefully it's going to create a posi- positive atmosphere, a positive vibe, and hopefully we can hit the ground running. Um, fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah, this year would automatically be a more successful footballing year for Ireland, before we even kick a ball, if Declan Rice was to declare for Ireland before March 2019. That's all, that's all that needs to happen this year for us to outdo the successes of last year. Yep, that would do it. Um, I, during my... Um rampant insomnia last night I started thinking of an Ireland team if Rice were to play Is that what helps get you to sleep? It would have maybe in the last few years but now it kind of kept me awake for another probably three hours actually although there were a lot lot of other things going on including just the fact that I need a new mattress I think I I read recently you should change your mattress after 10 years and I'm I'm there right now Right. Um, so I do need a new mattress and I think psychologically the mattress has beaten me at this stage where it's like you know that I've beaten you and this is going to be a struggle. But anyway... A metaphor for the Ireland team. Yeah. So getting back to the Irish mattress, right? So if you had... uh, The way he's playing at the moment, you played Doherty on the right. Left back, this is an interesting one. So I'm not not sure. You could play Robbie Brady as a very attacking left back. Your centre-backs would probably be Clark and Duffy, I think. Uh, Rice is a holding midfielder. O'Dowda on the right coming in off his left but playing a lot of link-up play with Doherty he was going to be a very attacking right back and then you have the other two midfielders um, you're going to say maybe Hendrick and McCarthy if he comes back not really sure about the other and maybe a, a blossoming Obafemi as the top man and you're like that's a young team that could be quite exciting and it's like there's reason to really believe, and because of the nature of European, the Euros now, like you have a good chance of qualifying if you have a borderline kind of competent campaign. And our group isn't that strong; like it's it's fairly open. I think George will take points off the other good teams in the group, um, but it's so much hinges on Rice. I know he's only one player, but he's just he's a very very good player, and he he could play centre back no problem, and he could be the driving force. I think Duffy is going to become. A, a star under the Irish team because McCarthy will really mould him into his kind of image like a real leader a guy who can also score goals and set pieces which should be become very important for us again um, which weren't under Martin O'Neill we didn't seem to do much on set pieces or anything really um, but if Rice were there and I know Kevin Kilban has had his say on this and Gary Breen and Kevin Kilban come from a kind of a maybe a, a patriotic sort of basis or, or, or kind of background that's of the English-Irish upbringing that I certainly wouldn't be, feel as strongly about and I don't think Declan Rice does. 
But if he were to, to stay true to Ireland, he could become like a real Irish legend. I think McCarthy needs to drive that home that he could be another English player or he could be an Irish legend. But the team I was kind of ruminating over last night at three in the morning um, would be a good team to watch. Yeah, I'd like to stand to that. Mick McCarthy has said he's done all he can possibly do, said all he can possibly say to try and persuade Declan Rice, and we're going to have a decision, it seems, before March this year. Troy Parrott as well, like, just if he, yeah. if he were to make a, an imprint in Spurs in the next few months, um, I'm a big believer in youth, and I think, you know, why not bring him into the fringes of the squad as well soon? I know he's only turning 17 soon, but who cares? He um, gets pitch minutes for Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, that's a higher level than international football, regardless of what anyone says. So, um, yeah, but it is the FA Cup. Like, yeah, but the, the Premier League, he's close. Troy Park will... He's supposed to be on the squad. There was rumours that he was going to be in the yeah, squad last year. It weekend. looks like he's going to play in the Premier League this, this, this season, as well as this year. And... Uh, Let's let's really look to that as the future and, and not focus on how bleak the past has been. We are going to reflect a little bit more on last night's incredible encounter at the Etihad Stadium as Manchester City beat Liverpool. Pat Nevin is on the line waiting to chat to us and get into some of the analysis. But before all that, Trent Alexander-Arnold spoke to Nathan Murphy after the match. Well, Trent, that was a, a game of very, very fine margins. An inch here, an inch there, and it could have been a very different result. What's the reaction in the dressing room? Yeah, obviously we're disappointed. It was a tough game to to take. We're not happy that we've come away with the loss, um, but it is what it is. We bounced back. Just the the execution in both boxes um, at the end of the day. Um, it was a fairly even game, but they took their their two chances, and we we uh, we only took one of ours. So we know that on a, on a different day we might have scored more goals. Um, we had the chances to do so, but. It wasn't our day. From a neutral's point of view, it was a, a brilliant game to watch. The intensity, the pace, the skill level. Did it feel like that on the pitch as well? Did it feel like this was another level from games you've even played this season? Um, yeah, it was an intense game. You know, you come into Man City, it's always going to be tough. You know, it's going to be very difficult to come here. But um, yeah, we prepared for it, um, especially over the festive period. It was tough to come here with the uh, maybe a few heavy legs. But um, yeah, we've come here, tried to do a job, but. We got it wrong and, and we got beat. I guess all the talk already is about the reaction now and bouncing back from a first defeat of the season. Is that a discussion that's already happening in the dressing room? Um, no, not yet because I think it's, we're still all feeling really disappointed. We know that we brush ourselves off, we go to go to sleep tonight, recover, and then we go, go again on Monday. The, the main important thing is to change our focus from Premier League and we've got an FA Cup game on Monday against Wolves. You know, it's going to be very difficult, but I think um, all the lads want to play. We all want to be involved and, and try and win the game. You're the local lad in this team. You've grown up in the city. You know more than anybody what it means to Liverpool supporters to end the 29-year wait. Does it rest easily on your shoulders, that sort of pressure? Yeah, I think yeah, we haven't really, really had any other pressure at all. We know the situation that we're in, the whole city knows the situation that we're in. Um, yeah, people are getting excited, but um, that, that's natural. We want to get the fans excited with the way that we play football and the results that we get. So, um, yeah, it's important for us. Pat Nevin, a very good morning to you. Good morning, how are you doing this morning? Not too bad at all, thanks. So uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold speaking there about the idea of pressure and that the pressure isn't really uh, penetrating this Liverpool squad at the moment at all. Do you buy that, particularly looking at their first half performance last night? Well, it's a great question when you ask players that. and I've not heard one saying, oh yeah, we're really struggling with the pressure now. <laughs> Obviously, you can't answer the question in that way. So um, yeah, look, every player will feel it to some level. Uh, I can remember Alec Ferguson being the one in the old days used to say, after you know the Christmas New Year period, that's when the league chase really begins. That's when you find out who the real winners are. 
and then you'll find out because the pressure is on every single week on it in both of those teams and by the way Spurs as well um, so the, th- the big giveaway for that interview for me was one little line which Trent said right in the middle of that he said we came here to do a job which is usually football speak for we try to get a draw mm. <laughs> you know maybe play a little bit in the break and because they set up that way you th- with a very strong three-man midfield you know there was no Shakiri there obviously but also they didn't they made sure that their fullbacks really didn't go forward much in that first half. And it's so unusual to see Robertson so defensive as he was in the first half. However, when they lost the goals, they changed that. They played a little bit more open. They created those chances. Robertson actually created the goal when he was allowed to go free. So Liverpool playing the way Liverpool play would probably have won that game had they started that way from the start, I think. But there was very little in it. Yeah, that's the thing, Pat, because it's like, obviously Mane's chance you're talking about inches here, um, but I'm just wondering psychologically, did Klopp set the team up um, with inculcating kind of a sense of inferiority in them rather than like, we can go toe-to-toe with these guys, we're the team in better form at the moment. And I, I don't really know the answer. I could, I could see it either way, but, you know, if you're looking at this in a few months' time and Liverpool haven't won the league, everyone will say, well, they should have gone a bit more toe-to-toe and played a more enterprising midfield, maybe. There's a thin line between being scared of the opposition and giving them respect. Mm. I don't know where we are in that line. I, I think that's the point you're making. And to be honest, if you go toe-to-toe to them and they, they manage to tear you to shreds and you lose with three goals, you'll be called naive. So, you know, and as you say, there was only inches in it. So it was one of those ones they, they tried it. It's worked well for Liverpool before. We've watched Liverpool, particularly in European away games, playing that way, you know, dragging teams onto them, playing brilliantly on the break. So it can work for them. Look, this is the toughest game of the season uh, domestically for Liverpool away from home at Manchester City. You know, if they could have got a point out of it, it would have been absolutely brilliant for them. But they got so incredibly close. So without taking anything away from them, yeah, I'd like to have seen them more open. That That's purely selfish because I want to see a more open game for the first 45 minutes as well as the second 45 minutes. But they put Man City under pressure. And as you say, it was inches. You're talking about the possibility of the, the post, the ball off the line or just about off the line. Um, the possible sending off for company as well. That's inches as well. There was very, very little in that entire game. Um, but maybe, you know, I looked at some of the stats last night as well, and it was 49 to 51% possession. So mm. there was nothing in it. It was just two teams, and whoever got a little bit lucky. You look at Sani's ball, his goal he scored, it hits off the post and goes in. Yeah. That's the difference. Their, theirs hits off of, Liverpool's hits off the post and comes back out. So little in it. Like the thing is, we could easily fall into the trap here, Pat, of scoreboard journalism. And if the score if the scoreline was completely flipped and Liverpool had one two one, we might be sitting here having the conversation right. about how Pep took the backward step in his team and and how he set up in a more defensive approach than usual. And that might have been the losing of the game had City actually lost the game. And it's interesting just reading a couple of the articles this morning. Paul Hayward in the Telegraph says that Guardiola versus Klopp is a struggle between purists, but not between dreamers. And I think that it really showed up the level of practicality that does exist in both men last night. It certainly did. You know, we're talking about Klopp being you know, slightly more defensive with the two fullbacks, but you're right. I mean, if you look at Danilo instead of uh, you know, Walker in that right-hand side, that's a more defensive outlook. And obviously they put Laporte at, at left fullback. Now, that actually turned out to be a really good move, that because 
he kept Salah quiet for, for the vast majority of the game. And he's a better defender than Zinchenko if Zinchenko had been available, obviously, with Mendy not being there. So, yeah, there, there, there was a pragmatism there. The pragmatism that you mentioned that made me laugh was near the end of the game. And it was always coming to those City defenders. And they were just lumping it anywhere. When's the last time you saw City doing that? It's and great to see, Pat, isn't it? Because like it's all it's, uh, it's it'd be boring if we're watching this amazing football every week. You just want to see like old-fashioned defenders who maybe from anywhere in the world saying, "I don't care. We need to win this game. Get the bloody thing out of there." Yeah, Rose edited it. I have to say, quite a lot of us smiled, didn't we, when we saw that a few times in the you know company near the end. But also, just about anybody in the Manchester City team near the end, they were under a bit of pressure. Understand that it's Liverpool had sent Van Dijk up the park, and you think, well, don't worry about it, just lump it anywhere. There was nobody up the field. Aguero, I don't know if you watched Aguero near the end, he couldn't move. Yeah. He tried to chase him one occasion and then just stopped. He, it's not that he was being lazy, there was no left for him as well. So that was old school. And as the back of me looks at, across at Pep and Klopp, and I love what they're doing, it's, it's a much better style of football than we've probably seen in, you know, in, in English football before. But they also have taken on board the things you need to take on board about English football that the scrap is needed. It absolutely is needed. And no, there was no playing out from the back in those last five minutes from City. Yeah, I think the, the best line I saw about that was Barney Ronnie saying that it felt like a bare-knuckle punch-up at a conference of senior particle physicists, uh, which is a good <laughs> way of putting it, that we have this notion that you know these are two extremely poetic sides, but it showed really the importance of that grit, which is sometimes missing or perceived to be missing, which I think is the crucial point here. I, I don't think last night was suddenly the first time Manchester City said, we're going to tear into the opposition. I mean, you have a player cam on Fernandinho any time he plays, and uh, he's a very hard man to say the very least, I think, Pat. Yeah, and of course we know Fernandinho's an incredibly important player. Since he's come back, they've they've got the mojo back to some degree. Manchester City, that's a big thing. But I think that was something special last night. It wasn't just him. We watched, you know, the two silvers, particularly Bernardo, battering into tackles. I mean, honestly, really, right from the start of the game. So it was impressive to see them understanding that's what was needed. You needed to win that fight to allow yourself the time and the space to play football. So I, I was, I think most of us were quite impressed with that. More to the fact that Manchester City, we've watched them a lot. And even when those games, I was down at the game at Stamford Bridge, you know, when they needed to have that fight when they went behind against Chelsea, it wasn't there. It absolutely really wasn't there. You thought they haven't got a plan B. Well, they've developed a wee plan B there in, in that game. And that's going to stand them in fairly good stead because it's not going to be a walk in the park all the way to the end of the season for either team, Manchester City or Liverpool. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if City get you know, likes of De Bruyne back, if Silva gets his full fitness and he's, you know, besties play back, that they could win every game between now and the end of the I'm season. I'm with Pat on that, Jay. I think, I think that it's, it's very feasible they'll win every game. What have they got? 17, 18 games left. It's, 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 most of them will be a cakewalk. And those big games, De Bruyne coming back in and just the players itching to get off the bench. Now, Silva, poor game last night. He's not going to be doing that anymore. That, that, that will be the challenge on Liverpool that... It's it's hard to see City with their mojo back dropping points after last night, and I, I it would not amaze me at all if they won every game. And, no, and exactly, and I think Liverpool will think that way, and, and they will believe that in themselves. But no, we're not saying it's a stick on to happen. There's one or two tough ones. They've got United, and the City United one might be an interesting one itself because sometimes all the tactics go out the window in that one as well. Um, but I don't think Liverpool can take any chances at all. They have to make sure that they don't slip up, that Manchester City could go on that grind and run. 
you know, they get a number, there's a number of us. I mean, Mandy has been a massive, massive loss there in that left back end. When they've lost games and lost goals, it's generally come from that left hand side of their defence. And if they had him, it wouldn't be such a difficulty. Having said that, everybody loses players. They've lost him, it's had a little effect. I think Liverpool have just worried about one player. Um, they have to get one player they have to concern themselves about and keeping him fit. If they lose Van Dyke, City will win the league. So mm. keep him fit. <laughs> keep him absolutely fit. Yeah, for sure. Like, do you think from now on, Jurgen Klopp has kind of decided that he's going to ditch the idea of a four-three-three? That I can kind of see why he went for it from the start. I guess the more hard-nosed approach, kind of assuming. I think you said it earlier on, Johnny, that Kevin De Bruyne was going to start the match. Do you think from here on out, Liverpool play a four-two-three-one when everybody's fit, and that's it? I don't think he should change everything. For I mean, he's changed it. He's adapted a few times anyway already this season. But there's no point in worrying about the other teams. They're not going to give you the same, ask you the same questions as Manchester City will ask you. But that four, then a hard three in the middle. I'm not sure it will stick to that too often. Certainly not at home. I mean, they'll just overwhelm teams at home as they always do. But it, I mean, I've looked at again where the kind of position of the, the players were last night. Most of the time, uh, you know, you look at the players that were playing, and the player that was playing closest to a number ten was Milner. You know, and I love Milner. We all love Milner for what he's done. But there's better number 10s there at mm. Liverpool than Milner. So they have to make sure that, you know, having to go and win games, there are a few games to go out and hope for a draw or accept a draw between now and the end of the season. So, you know, horses for courses at home, they will just charge at teams and make sure that they get those three points early on. Away from home, they might have to be a little bit more cute. But then cute didn't work at the Etihad, did it? Uh, one thing I think we need to give credit to because we've seen so much of him doing unbelievable things down through the years is Sergio Aguero's performance and we speak about this possibility of Liverpool perhaps getting a little bit overwhelmed by the position that they're in. If there's one man who never gets phased by anything really who manages to show up when it really matters is Sergio Aguero. His performance kind of turning something out of nothing really with his goal last night. The way you mentioned as well late in the game he could barely even run at the end. I think you know we, we saw David Silva sort of have one of his poorest games particularly this season in the Manchester City shirt you've got to give credit consistently to the old guard and Sergio Aguero does it time and time again when it matters for this Manchester City team Yeah the amount of teams that would just love to have him on the team I mean you look at the likes of City Liverpool Chelsea to a degree as well that's exactly the centre forward they need because he's intelligent he moves really really well he actually holds the ball up pretty well he got fouled early on there was a booking thrown out, and that was him. He knew that he couldn't really be hit after that. And he, he held the ball up, and he laid it off well. He, he falls into a number 10 position quite a lot of the time as well, which confuses the life out of centre-back sometimes. He was also clever enough to spend his time playing on Lovren and not Van Dyke. Have a look at the goal. Look at who he runs past. It's Lovren, and it's not Van Dyke. So he's got great intelligence. And, of course, on top of all that, what a striker. You know, what a finisher. Um, and there was no space at all to get that ball in that near post, post there. And he lashed it in there. And he understands also the players. One of the great things about Manchester City, you know, all the teams have watched them, but particularly this season, the amount of times they get to the byline. It's supposed to be the hardest thing to do to get to the byline, to get across from that area. I mean, I spent my career trying to do that. And teams hate doing that, get, letting you get there, because it's one of the hardest balls, if not the hardest ball to defend into the box from a cutback. And he knows when these players like Bo Silva, Zorsani get to that position, even Mares, that he knows exactly the right place to go. And his finishing from those, those areas are fantastic. His movement just before that goal was just utterly world class. 
because there was no space. There was no chance on there. Lovren had a yard on him. He got that yard, and he got another yard, and he still got a terrible angle. He still scores. So, yeah, in short, he's, he is absolutely brilliant. But maybe on top of that, did he really used to run as much as he did last night? <laughs> I think he maybe put in as much effort last night as I've ever seen him in any game. You can imagine Chelsea looking at Morata past all club the other night and the, the mental struggle he has in front of goal. If they had an Aguero, they'd be they'd every chance to be well up there. Well, like, they, that, that is the thing, really. Like That has been one of the, the other theories uh, about Manchester City and their slump throughout Christmas was that there was no number nine really giving the full impact of the team with Aguero perhaps not fully on it at a certain point and his kind of, I don't want to call it a slump in form, Pat, because there was other factors there at play, but perhaps a resurgent Sergio Aguero is just as important as a fully fit Fernandinho to the efforts of this Manchester City team in terms of not falling flat once again. I don't think there is a team sport out there where the phrase, you can become a better player by not playing, it doesn't apply. Mm. And sometimes, you know, you really know how good a player is or how important a player is to your team when he's not either A, fully fit or be fit at all and not there um, and when Gabriel Jesus is playing and uh, Aguero is not you know he, he can score he's, he's fine he's okay but he's not Aguero I mean he's nowhere near Aguero for all the things he adds to your team and you start looking around and thinking to yourself how do they replace him because they're eventually going to have to replace him he's in his 30s now you know they, he, he, there's a lot of miles in that clock as well uh, and he's you know sometimes it helps a lot but the smaller players seem to last a bit longer sometimes because the stockiness but it's all about the injuries usually well he's had a lot of injuries over the years so you know you, you've got to make sure that you don't use him every single game and maybe that's City's biggest problem between now and the end of the season they've got Champions League, they've got you know probably FA Cup, they've got this as well, they've got the League Cup stuff that they've done all the way through this season they've got a lot of games, they can't rely on him in every single game between now and the end of the season so they're going to have to be clever with him um, because on form, he's unstoppable, particularly if you've got the quality of the, the Silvers and De Bruyne, Ole and Mares. <laughs> you could keep on going there. Sterling, you know. Maybe the only other possibility is Sterling up front um, now and again for the odd game uh, just to use his pace. He's not the most intelligent runner a lot of the time when he's playing central, but he's got enough pace and he's a, he's a good scorer at the moment. If you give him two or three chances, he'll score one of them. And they generally get two or three chances in most games. Speaking of the Manchester City old guard, should Vincent Company been sent off last night? Um, I think, uh, well, yes, um, is the, the short answer. Uh, but it's a tough one for the referee to see. Uh, he saw it once. He thought it was a lunge at the ball. If he'd have seen it from the angles, uh, you know, everybody else saw it for him, uh, and particularly afterwards, and the fact that it was two-footed, it was about the lunge, uh, didn't get the ball, everything. I think if you've got a VAR. Um, from next season and that you show that I think he's off I don't think you stay on the pitch from that um, I think I'm not probably not the only person to say this either had it not been Vincent Company had it been one or two other people they'd have gone off um, Vincent's got because he's so likeable he's so liked um, because he's so respected because you know the history in the game all that sort of stuff you know he probably gets that tiny little bit more leeway than some others um, definitely some others with a, not the same reputation, they would have walked for that. Yeah, which is sad because it shouldn't yeah. be like that. But you know, in fairness, um, you can't have an effect on on 
via your reputation and just your general character. And I thought he stood for everything that City were were about last night in that, as Pat was alluding to that, lashing the ball anywhere at the end, just that indomitable spirit of the old centre-back. Um, but he should have seen red, mm. unfortunately. And Liverpool win the game then. Who's going to win the league, Pat? <laughs> like you know, like I know, like anybody knows. Not, um, mate, I, to be fair, I, I, I think Liverpool have got the slightest of edges just now. But it comes down to who keeps fit, you know. And Liverpool can afford to lose just about anyone, as I say, except Van Dijk. They can't lose him. If they lose him, then Manchester City win the league. I don't think there's even a question of that. They're not good enough defensively without him. Um, whereas, you know, Manchester City, they, yes, they can win every game between now and the end of the season, and it might not be enough. And, of course, don't ignore Tottenham. If both of those teams get the jitters at all, Tottenham are quite capable. The thing we haven't taken on board, of course, is Champions League. Who keeps on going all the way in the Champions League and how much stress and pressure put, that puts on them in the games that come after the Champions League weeks, that'll make a big difference. And that's a, a real unknowable at the moment. So you could end up in what would be the perfect situation, one of them wins the Champions League and one of them wins the league. That would be fair. And wouldn't that be great for English football? Well, Liverpool, I, I've said this, if Liverpool won the Champions League and didn't win the league, their fans would be disappointed this season. Like, I, I genuinely think the Champions League is such a secondary in, interest for them now. If Man City won the Champions League, they'd happily not win the league, I think. And that's... it's it, City are pretty strong favourites to the Champions League, but it's mad. If Spurs hadn't blown that, you know, they, they were one it up against Wolves and seemingly coast and lose the game. It's like such a small gap. Mm. Um, they, they, it, there have been so many twists and turns the last sort of month or so it's just been so compelling and something that was on the verge of like kind of just bleeding away into nothingness it's true we are on the verge of a, of a classic here yeah and that's that's why when you ask any questions I'm, I'm not i'm not going to talk nonsense to you and say this a win the league or b win league it's, it's nonsense nobody knows it's it's so tight they're so well matched um there are so many other factors to come into play which will be nothing got to do with ability. It will just be got to do with luck. You know, you, the luck of the injuries, the luck of, you know, players having fitness problems, how far you go in another cup. You know, does someone get injured when they're playing an international? All those sorts of things. Because you're looking at the two technical coaches, there's nothing between them. And you add Pochettino, there's nothing between that lot. They're all top quality. They're all a joy. They're all a great addition to English football. They've made it probably the best Premier League in terms of quality that certainly I've seen. Um, I can't think of any. I'm thinking of, yeah, sometimes you've had one or two great teams who have, you know, cruised away and won the league. That's different from a really great Premier League at the top level. And it's especially with the technical players that you've got there. So, yeah, absolutely brilliant between now and the end of the season. I can't wait for it. I'll be slightly honest. I had no preference and I have no preference. between. Come on, Pat. Who do you want to win us? Come on. Come on. I have no preference, but I will tell you one thing. I was happy Man City won last night. Really happy. Keep it alive. I want, yeah, I want, I want the excitement. I want the entertainment. So it's not anti-Liverpool. And even though I play for Everton, even though I play for Chelsea, it's nothing got to do with that. Because I love players like Salah. You know, I love players like you know Van Dijk. It's fabulous. Probably the best defender in the world at the moment. You know, it's, it kind of goes beyond when you've, you've played football for a long time. You just want to see right good players. Um, and that's what both of those teams have got. Actually, all, I keep on saying this, all three, don't ignore Spurs. Just really don't ignore them. There is a possibility that they could go a long way. They could go out early, earlier in the Champions League and give themselves that bit of a rest, and that would make one hell of a change. Yeah, I guess you could say it was a good result for Spurs as well last night. Uh, Pat and Evan, thanks a million. Appreciate it. Pleasure as ever.
Pat Nevin there on the line. Uh, Kina Foley, a very good morning to you. You're very welcome. Good morning to you. Do you want to win the league, Kina? I, I, I used to be a Man City fan years and years and Did years you? ago in the old Colin Bell and the old, yeah, the long, long time ago. Um, I don't care. It's just riveting, isn't it? Yeah. And it was interesting what you said about company last night. Like, there was a point in the game, I don't know whether you noticed it, where he almost did the McGregor strut. There was a point where he was kind of standing up to the camera, you know, and it just the leadership was phenomenal. That's what he was fashioning. Should have been sent off. <laughs> yeah, he should have been sent off. <laughs> must be the only person who used to be a Manchester City oh, yeah, fan. Yeah, I know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, true to the, the spirit of, like, she didn't want the big takeover, no, you know, and all the millions spent she wanted the old days of Main Road and Oasis and like um, proper Man City yeah. kind of as soon as Rubinho was in you were out yeah. lovely, the lovely round neck shirts the old classic yeah, the old yeah. retrospective stuff I love the old oh, retro they're, stuff they're yeah. but it's, it's br- isn't it brilliant because what a few months ago everyone was saying Man City are going to win again and suddenly everything's changed it's just mm. brilliant that even is. if you do live with a Liverpool fan anyway <laughs> Yeah, and he's called Johnny. But um, <laughs> la- last last night was a throwback to the old days. I think because the Etihad can be a very very lifeless place at times. By all accounts, it's in the middle of nowhere. Main Road, uh, certainly on TV, it looked to have a great atmosphere back noise. in the day. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable noise there. Mm. And I think last night was probably the first time you've heard noise like that at a game there in a long time, if ever. On TV, sometimes yeah. you don't hear it, and it was unbelievable mm. last night how much you could hear. And the other thing that struck me was there were hardly any uh, corners. The game just was yeah. end to end to end. It never stopped. I mean, it was just fantastic. No, neither team conceded a free kick in its own third, I think, of the pitch as well. So it yeah, it was probably that company challenge was actually the yeah. closest yeah. Uh, free in that was actually conceded. Uh, Keena, you are presenting off the ball on Sunday. It's a special show uh, coming your way. We've got really good lineup. It's an all women's lineup on off the ball with a yeah. number of really big interviews. Um, like we can talk about multiple things in the show, but I understand there's an Aisha McFerrin interview coming our way on Sunday, which is uh, containing some stellar stuff. Yeah, well, um, six months ago, none of us probably heard of Aisha McFerrin, and now it turns out she's you know she was voted the best goalkeeper in the world at the World Cup, um, the Irish hockey goalkeeper. Um, but actually, the interesting thing about her. Um, which I discovered was that like all we saw of the hockey team from the summer has been of them smiling, constantly happy, full of joy. But many of them have really interesting backstories. And Aisha McFerrin has a remarkable backstory in some ways. And so I sat down with her. They're actually gone away to, they're gone to Chile on warm weather training. So we had to get her before she went away. Um, so we talked to her. I mean, she's also, there's loads of interesting things about her, not least the fact that um, hockey wasn't her sport. She was involved in something else, uh, very dedicated to it for a long time before she got into hockey and was a really good soccer player as well. Um, she's in America in university, in the University of Louisville, which if anybody knows anything about the NFL, produces, you know, the NFL is its big thing. So I was really interested in, I'm always interested in Irish well, athletes Aiden who go Harris to America. Well going to Louisville, yeah, that's so. right, the young basketball player, he's going to end up there as well. But And there's a few go- Irish golfers there, she was telling mm. me. There's three Irish golfers there as well, two guys and a girl. But you have this massive campus and how does somebody from Ireland go in? How do you fit in? Um, in what she described, Itself outside the city itself, it's it's uh, it's shooting, hunting, fishing country. It's hilly bully country, and so that cultural change I think is really interesting. But then also she opens up about a really difficult period in her life which she hasn't talked about before, um, and I, which I think people will find. You're really giving interesting. us a bit of a teaser there. I yeah. am. Yeah, I'm not going to tell yeah, you. you. Again, <laughs> it's like by the paper. <laughs> exactly. Well, January sixth. The reason. Um, 
The reason Sunday is going to be a little bit different is January 6th is Sunday and that is uh, Man traditionally in Ireland. Um, it was Women's Christmas or Little Christmas it was always called. And the, the tradition of it being a kind of a special day for women has been revived in recent years. Now some people argue it's been revived for women to get together and have a drink, you know. Um, but the arts in Ireland have revived it and always have, a, have special events on. So off the ball this year as part of their commitment to this new 2020 movement have decided that on Sunday Sunday, off the ball will all be women's voices. So that means that we'll be talking about women's sport, but we'll also be talk- we'll have women talking about men's sport. So Sue Murphy, the resident uh, American football nut around here, Sue is going to be talking about the playoffs, the NFL playoffs. It's FA Cup Day, obviously, in England as well. But uh, a lot of the stuff we'll be talking about will involve stories about women's sport because it's been an amazing year. So, um, so apart from that Aisha McFerrin interview, we'll have three of our most famous rugby players in talking about Irish rugby, where it's gone since they won those uh, Six Nations, where it is now. And really interesting, this week, England have just... Mm-hmm. Uh, put their players on professional contracts. It's, it's actually the Telegraph has the women rewarded at last England um, at last England on full-time contracts yeah. and it's a very interesting move then. I think um, women's sport in general is going to be a massive growth industry the next 10-20 years. That's, um, that's in the terms of And the challenges to get people to go to the games. But exactly. You've seen how the, the GEA have to have made like you know particularly League of yeah. Ireland personnel look on with so much envy at the crowds at the yeah. at the football final that, finals is the thing though that, and the thing even, about 2020 20 is to try and increase it more during the year even following my sister now would have played for like her club would have won the intermediate championship in Galway this year like the crowds at those games they really galvanise community and um, there's, there's no, it's nothing to do with gender it's the fact that these are representing our club yeah. and they brought uh, St Brendan's a club that's really struggling at May level back onto the in, to the national stage and massive massive support in the parish for them and um, very good standard of football as well and that was at intermediate level and it's really really growing Like, and, it's, it's, and that's and the it, thing the standard has to mm. be good the analysis has to be good everything else has to match up for people to really get I think you know emotionally involved Absolutely. in women's sport so that's part of the challenge so we'll be talking about uh, about rugby in that context because the Irish women play England in the first game in the Six Nations mm. at home we've England and France at home this year so that's, a, that's something that we'll be talking about and also it's been an amazing summer for Irish athletics um, a lot of the medals won were by, were by young women so we have one of them in and we have her in with her mum and one of the people who's involved in coaching her so just to see what the support system is for these girls how will they make the transition to senior which applies in both genders how do you make that transition from being a really good junior to the next level yeah. um, it's the basketball weekend as well uh, basketball is big I mean it's really big at the moment Super League is at the height and also the National Cup is coming up so we'll be talking about the National Cup semi-finals who are which are on the following weekend as well. No lady riders, no lady jockeys on? Well, the, you know the argument at the moment. They'll be uh, riding on Sunday. You don't need to talk about them yeah. because they don't regard themselves, and particularly uh, the, the flag bearer at the moment doesn't regard herself as a lady jockey. She simply sees but herself. But Rachel Blackmore Rachel has Blackmore done. Blackmore and sees uh, herself as a jockey. Yeah, as I've said, I'm, I'm very proud of racing in that it's about 50-50 split in terms of staff, in terms of the gender split. And um, the fact now that uh, Rachel Blackmore could be could be champion jockey not only the fact that she's a woman but the fact that she was a struggling pro or struggling amateur yeah. before she came a pro and didn't care and the fact that at Cheltenham last year four of the 28 races one in seven went to a woman and one of them um, an English jockey she, her, she actually dislocated her shoulder during the race and rode out a finish was on a Brian winner. Gordon or was it yeah, somebody uh, else? No. It was, uh, it was an English rider whose name escapes me. There's a couple. There's a few brilliant jockeys. She won the Fox Hunter Jason. And in, 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 
the amount of times in Ireland where a struggling punter would want to get Nina to get him out in the bumper in the last race and um, Katie Wall spoke about this at the HRI Awards like I became a jockey when I stopped thinking I was a female jockey and that's what they are they're jockeys and uh, I still say it I think a lot of horses are more suited to the, the female kind of just hands uh, than, than, than the men, than, than men. I think I think some, 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 they just have a, a more innate kind of, um, cause it's, it's, it's not so much, generally obviously the man will be stronger in a finish and that's just a, a, you know, that's just a genetic thing at the moment. But, um, that's not, that's only half the battle. And a lot of female jockeys, they just have a very kind of quiet manner and most of the race is, is, is before the finish and when they will just get a lovely response out of their horse and, um, you know this nonsense that he's a this horse is and he's not a woman's right he's a man's right that's gone that's rubbish like Rachel Blackmore has shown that and Nina and Katie were up there with the best male professionals not only the best male amateurs and uh, they've done so much for the sport they both retired now but they were on it at the HRI awards and with the weights the way that they're going to go in in with men getting taller uh, female jockeys are going to become more and more prevalent and there'll be a female champion jockey in Ireland very very soon I hope well, uh, and the interesting thing about this 2020 campaign has, you know, was was kind of uh, designed last October and came out, and 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 its aim is to have 20% more participation, um, more media coverage, and more attendance at women's sport events. So that's you know at every level, whether it's referees or coaches or umpires or whatever it is, um, and. Uh, one of the slogans for it is can't, if you can't see it you can't be it it's a Billie Jean King famously said it, it's a, it, it that originally came from and I don't think you wonder and you think would Rachel Blackmore have taken on what she's taken on if Nina and, and Katie hadn't been there ahead no, of her no, and they were the complete, likelihood is they were no. absolute role models you need those role models you know, and it was there was an element of when she became professional like she was doing nothing as an amateur she was getting nowhere but she believed I'm going to get more opportunities and Michael O'Leary is the hardest nosed businessman probably that we know um, he's used Rachel Blackmore Nina Carberry and um, you know um uh, I'm, it's, I'm so tired this morning, I can't even think. And Lisa O'Neill. Well, Lisa O'Neill. Who's won two one. Yeah, uh, Kerry Nationals. Yeah, yeah. And Rachel Blackmore rides more for Michael O'Leary now than pretty much any other jockey. And uh, that's because she's good and she works hard. And it's nothing to do with the fact that she's not a male jockey in a male-dominated sport as it used to be. It's because she's very good. And it's it's just been so enjoyable to see that. And there's none of this like tokenism about it. It's because they're good and mm-hmm. they work hard and they get on with it. And I, I think Katie and Nina have been incredible ambassadors for women in sport. Yeah. I don't think they actually get the credit they deserve outside of racing. Just on uh, the Aisha McFerrin interview and I guess the hockey year, I guess everybody can think to themselves immediately, well, 2018 is as good as it's going to get, but I guess there's an added pressure on that team this year because you've got the Olympic qualification. Everything changes, but now. also the optics of you know yeah. the, the, the funding yeah. boost after the World yeah. Cup last yeah. year. It, it will be very interesting to see how the dynamic of this it's team changes. It's a with, huge factor for them is now there's expectations on them because we've seen that with athletes of all kinds. Very often it's easier to perform when there's no pressure and people don't expect something of you, and then you produce your best. But what happens then when everybody expects you to produce your best every time you go out? Mm. And that's the big challenge for them. And the other big challenge for them is is and I know it's a big challenge for them is 
they have to qualify for the Olympics. They haven't done it, and they have uh, the first time they get a chance to do it is in a tournament in Ireland next June. We don't know yet. Probably going to be UCD, I'd say. But one of the issues they have is it's very difficult to get them together for collective training, and I because it's all Ireland as well, which makes it even a little yeah, bit yeah. And and a lot of them are t- a lot of them are playing professionally in in Holland and Germany, um, and some of them are in college abroad, and they're all over the place. So they had t- um, they got time together before this World Cup. They're only going to get very limited amount of time together before that qualifying tournament so that's the sort of issues they have now those expectations and that kind of thing and as you say with the extra funding always in Ireland people get money public money people go well come on you better perform for it now you know there's no excuses anymore so psychologically it's going to be really interesting how they deal with it because everything was on the up and now the pressure is on. And, and, and how good they are, I think, is going to be revealed now and how they deal with that pressure. And it never rains in Ireland anymore, so we have a climate for hockey pitches all over the place. <laughs> like, you know. it's, it's going to be a fascinating show. Like, there, there's other things I wanted to get into there, but it's going to be a fascinating year, like, I guess, with the World Cup as well. But even yeah, the point fact. you made... I've just hijacked it by talking about racing. So you can blame it's, me. Uh, it's, it's better than the stuff I was going to talk about. Um, like, the idea as well that I think it's always so fascinating with I think one of the most curious things we have in sport here is the fact uh, is the attendances in the women's final like last year getting over 50,000 and outdoing Monaghan versus Tyrone in yeah. the men's semi-final and then there is still such a huge challenge to build up that level of attendance and level of interest not even at lower levels but yeah, at the inter-county game level. before yeah, you get yeah. to the All-Ireland and there's two, I think there's two reasons for it one is this comparative thing um, comparing women's team sport and it's particularly problem in team sport with their male equivalent and saying oh they're not as fast or they're not as skillful or they're not as uh, strong um, and I thought it was really interesting with the hockey because most of us know nothing about hockey uh, we all looked at that team and went oh my god they're brilliant mm. we weren't comparing them to the Irish men's hockey team because most of us haven't seen them so we just judged them on their own merits so that's one of the things and then the other thing I think for women's sport very often as well is 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 the narrative creating a narrative like the narrative we have at the moment of Man City, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea whatever you know you need a narrative I think to get people interested and to get them to, to really commit to something and very often because they don't get as much media coverage women's women's stories aren't told and uh, on Sunday we'll be doing partly that as well because the thing about is there are so many untold stories like Aisha McFerns that are brilliant and have still to be heard so I think that's the that's the really interesting thing. And people who through because of what society thought of them maybe women just didn't get into sport down the years that could have been great sports women and that at a young age now it's just becoming so normal that like kids of both genders play sport and develop as people and what sport can do to a person to bring that person on in terms of self-esteem and just finding a role in life and becoming friendly with other people through it is amazing whether you're female or male. And speaking of, spe- just briefly speaking of, uh, of role models or getting a chance to do things, did you see the video of Tony McCoy's daughter show jumping at the weekend? I did not. Actually. Oh, have a look at that. Uh, she's competing in England. I'm not sure, is she five or eight? But she absolutely, it's phenomenal. Have a look at it. It'll I was at um, David Jennings' wedding the other day. He's a racing journalist, obviously, as well and I was talking to a girl about Paul Carberry whose daughter is seven now and she's literally mad to ride the, har- the hardest thing that he has at home this flighty like two year old three year old she's seven years of age she's like daddy daddy let me on let me on they're so afraid of nothing keep, out for all, <laughs> keep an eye out for so the Carberrys so there's one, a, a young Carberry and a young McCoy watch out for those in future years Absolutely. Uh, Kleena, thanks, thank you very much for very popping welcome. in. It was the best of luck on Sunday. Johnny, thank you very we, much. We have to try to go back to bed, I think. The collective, we reckon we'd six hours sleep between the three of us with Phil earlier on. Um, just couldn't work.
one of those. It's a hallucinate at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Quite honestly, yeah. I have a full day's work to do now. You do, and both of you are back in here as well over the course of the weekend. So it's a busy weekend uh, coming up tonight and off the ball. Uh, just to plug this, Friday night racing with yourself, Johnny. You're back in this evening as well. Uh, Jer, in body uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, John Duggan's going to be in for that as well. It's live at three o'clock on all the off the ball channels. We're also going to be reviewing the Christmas racing at Leopardstown in that slot. The crappy quiz and more rugby as well. Looking ahead to the weekend of Pro 14 action as well coming up tonight and off the ball. And then this weekend, as I say, Johnny's back in studio on Saturday. He'll be alongside Dan to keep an eye on the FA Cup. There's a Saturday panel. We'll be keeping an eye on Leinster against Ulster and Connacht against Munster as well. And then Sunday, January the 6th, that's this Sunday, there's going to be an all-female off the ball to celebrate Nolig Naman and to kickstart our 20 by 20 coverage for the year 2019. Kleena and Maura trasney Callig are presenting from 1 o'clock. And as we've said, there's a feature interview with Irish hockey goalkeeper Aisha McFerrin. Uh, Neil Briggs, Jenny Murphy and Fiona Coughlin are the 2013 Grand Slam panel. Looking back on that, and I'm sure plenty on the England professionalism news as well. Athletics, basketball, FA Cup and NFL across the show as well. So make sure to tune in this Sunday from 1 o'clock. That's our lot from OTB AM for this week. We're back on Monday morning from 7.45am. We'll chat to you then. Bye-bye for now. So if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45am.